These are the Stanley Cup champions cheering for us. Obi could beat the fuck out of Wayne Gretzky. Could you break Wayne Gretzky's leg? Because he's 24! The smoke blinds from straight 40s before I go out for warmies. We got like half dressed and then last for and we we're just going nuts. We're in the locker room by then. We we're just going absolutely bananas. All right, guys, we now welcome on an awesome guest, Eastern Maryland native, played his youth hockey at least a year. Team Maryland, the Math Catholic standout MAPHL Player of the Year back in 2010. Alternate captain for the UNH Wildcats with 63 career points there. Uh, and two-year ECHL pro, Casey Thrust. Casey, welcome to the pod, man. How are you? Thanks for having me, guys. You're really bringing me back with the, old, the MAPHL yeah, man. Uh, accolades here. Yeah, <laughs> local legend, bud. Toss it, toss it in there. So we'll kind of start, I guess, at the beginning, talking about throwing it back. Um, young kid growing up in Easton, there's that one rink over there. Um, not the biggest, I guess, part of the state in terms of hockey, you could say. So how do you get into all of it? Yeah, it's kind of random. I, th- I think my brother actually uh, started playing. Uh, so I have an older brother. And so he started playing in what I guess what we used to be called the Jamie Webb kind of, uh, you know, like introduction where they give you gear and let you skate right. and everything. So uh, my brother started playing and then just naturally, you know, wanting to do everything your older brother wants, you know, everything your older brother does. So I kind of just started picking it up and, you know, I really liked that I always played a lot of different sports when I was growing up, baseball, soccer, lacrosse, pretty much every sport, but hockey, just the, the pace of it, you know, I really liked it. And then I'd play, you know, basketball or soccer. It just felt so slow. So how old, so, uh, that, how old were you when ahead. you first put on skates? Um, I think I was probably about six or seven. So I actually uh, started out as a goalie. I okay. was a goalie for four years uh, in Easton. And uh, back then, you know, you'd play goalie and you'd skate out every once in a while. And right. um, so I played goalie. And then uh, I guess it would have been, you know, when I was, when I was a younger, the USA Hockey changed the uh, date of birth for that broke up the years. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the kids I was playing with in Easton were going to go up, you know, to the next level. And I was going to have to stay back. So, um, you know, I, I talked to my parents. I really liked hockey. And I said, you, they said, well, you know, why don't we go and try out for what at the time was called, you know, the Little Caps, mm-hmm. the travel team. So I went to the uh, the first tryout for the Little Caps and made it as a goalie. And, uh, you know, I came back and said, you know, to my parents, you know, would you guys drive me around all year? You know, I'd really want to do this the whole thing. Yeah. And were, they, you, and they, were, were you still living across the bridge there? Yeah, I was going, still in oh, Easton. That's so, a hike. A heck of a commute, yeah. Yeah, it was a hike. So, uh, you know, I asked my parents if they'd let me do it. And they said, yeah, we will. But what we want you to do is we want you to come back and try out as a skater. Because, you know, when you're younger, the goalies just split games. It doesn't really matter, you know, who's better, who's worse. So they said, you know, if we're going to drive you all around, we at least want you to play both games. So I actually went back the next night and then made it as a defenseman. Oh, nice. uh, For a couple of years. So that's how I ended up you know, starting out in Easton and then, you know, eventually getting across the bridge. Nice. So you go to Little Caps and then there's, so you stay, did you stay at Little Caps until you started with uh, Team Maryland? Yes, I stayed, yep. Oh, it was a Little Caps. Two years of defenseman. I finally switched over to forward eventually, and then that led into, you know, starting for Team Maryland. Yeah, so that commute also kind of plays into, I guess, my next question. So you're still commuting. Did you ever move at some point, or were the parents always stationed over on the Eastern Shore, especially, I mean, I guess when you got to high school, was it still a daily commute to DeMatha? 
Yes, my my folks are still there on the eastern shore. Actually, uh, when I went to Damatha, uh, I was playing for Team Maryland. It was based out of Rockville, which is even worse than Jeez. the regular team yeah. there in Laurel. Yeah. So that's brutal. You know, dealing with the Beltway and everything. So, actually, was lucky. My grandmother lived in Beltsville, Maryland, which is about oh, 15 yeah, minutes from Damatha. <laughs> So got lucky and ended up basically staying there. So I'd drive over in the morning on Monday mornings to Damatha and then I'd stay there for the week, uh, you know, and go to school and practice and everything like that and be gone on the weekend for games. Oh, so that made it easier playing travel and whatnot as well. Um, so I guess sticking on the topic of Damatha, um, when did that kind of all start for you in terms of, you know, you get recruited to go play at these MAPHL schools. Um, did you Were you familiar with the landscape of the league at that time and kind of had a – thought of where you wanted to go play prep school or was prep school even a question then and until it before a coach started to come talk to you yeah you know I don't even really think it was anything about the prep school or colleges or anything uh you know I was playing for team Maryland uh so I knew I, I was wanted to play for that travel team so I was starting to look at schools across the bridge uh actually just one of the old coaches at the math i think maybe saw me play a, a game for the little caps and asked my dad where i was going to high school uh just sort of started as simple as that and uh, i had a cousin that went to the math uh, so it kind of just fit like that but you know at the time i was playing for uh for team maryland you know i was a I was an okay player at best, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. I was probably a third and fourth line guy. I was, I was really small. Uh, like I was like five, six. So, yeah. you know, I, I didn't even think about, you know, prep school or college or anything like that. It was just, you know, Hey, I'm going to play in this travel team. I got to go to high school over there. Math has seemed like a good fit. Yeah. Good fit. Good school. So uh, when was your freshman year there? Were you there in on that 2008 uh, championship team? Yeah. So when we won in 20 in 2008, I was a sophomore. Okay. So last, so you're on that last DeMatha team to win an MAPHL championship. So we'll get into your senior season here. Um, Cause that's obviously the big year for everybody in terms of prep school. We'll start with um, one in particular matchup in the regular season. Uh, we can't remember if you played in this game or not, but it was a nice uh, non-league game exhibition match against the uh, number one ranked public school in the state, uh, Huntingtown. Do you uh, recall that game at all? I don't. Did I did, uh, did I play against someone I uh, on the podcast here? Is that, is that why the jerk's coming? Or what? All three of us. No, All we were trying to remember because I didn't think you played. AB thought you did. I mean, you guys dummied us like three to one, but um, we, couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't figure it out who the hell played and who did in that game. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I I didn't play as much my senior year at Damatha as I I probably would have liked. It was more of my sophomore and junior year. So at the odds are, I, I didn't play. But um, you know, if, so, if you guys don't remember, I clearly didn't have my best <laughs> game, even if I did. Um, so did Damatha? I know some schools kind of get a little hazy with this. Did Damatha let you play club at all, or is it strictly just Damatha? Yeah, so that was actually, um, you know, part of the reason why I, I picked the math and part of the reason why I'm still close to the program and, uh, you know, really tight with uh, Coach Tony McCauley that's still oh, there. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, so he, uh, you know, he gets it. He, he coached a lot of different levels, and when he actually came back to the math, uh, you know, he was just really up front with me and just basically said, you know, come when you can come, and when you can't, you know, we're going to, you know, continue to get better. And, and I think at the time, it was sort of right when the the different you know team Maryland and Little Caps were getting a little bigger, and there seemed like a kind of a divide of you know your club team versus your high school team. Right. Um, and and that was the great thing for me is Tony 
was so awesome about it. And, and he let me come when I could come and I played as many games as I could. And, and when I was there, no one held it against me and he yeah. didn't certainly hold it against me either. So it was like such a great relationship there. Yeah. Right. So random question here. You said you're obviously you're so close with Tony. Um, great guy. You're so close with the program. Um, assuming so you keep up with it pretty regularly. Do Have you ever thought about, or has it ever been brought to you that to maybe become coach over there? Yeah, I talk to Tony about it all the time. I usually come up um, right before their playoff run, and I'll I'll go full gear and uh, run to a practice with those guys. Uh, I did that a couple of years, and I always play in the alumni game and right in uh, over Christmas break. And and like I said, I'm I'm always there for for Tony. It's I kind of leave the door open and say, you know, if you ever need me or if you ever think anything that I could do could help your team, um, you know, feel free. So that's kind of where I'm at now. I think, you know, eventually that's that's certainly not out of the question. I, I like being around the program and the way Tony runs it. He, he runs it the right way. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's it's great to be a part of that and help someone that, you know, really helped me in my, in my journey. For sure. So you mentioned your senior year, you didn't play as much as maybe your sophomore, junior year at the Matha, but senior year is the year you won player of the year, right? Or was that a different year? Am I mistaken? I I think that was sophomore year. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. I think is yeah. I got the player of the year and I got all like, met and we won. So that gotcha. was that was that was that wasn't the worst year I've had playing for the math. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> so I guess take us through those two years. I mean, sophomore year winning the championship, senior year losing the championship, and that tough one to Gonzaga. I mean, after beating that incredible Landon team that year, just kind of take us through the ups and downs of kind of both games. I mean, as we know, it's MAPHL, the stadium's rocking. I mean, especially in a rivalry game like that with those two schools and student sections jumping and whatnot. Yeah, it was great. You know, I, I really enjoy playing high school hockey. I enjoy playing, you know, for DeMatha. So some some of my best memories, even, you know, games I ended up playing later in my career, you know, I still remember those those championship games and you know at the time that it just seemed like the most important thing in the world you know whether that was you know 1200 people or however many people you can pack in that in that rink in laurel um you know i still have a picture at my parents house at home from uh, one of the goals i scored in the, the ma uh, phl championship game that we won um, so yeah it's just a cool a really cool memory for me um you know kind of validated me you know all the commuting and, and staying at my grandmother's and everything right and uh you know the year we won it we we were not very good in the regular season i think we were under 500 and huh. uh it's just kind of funny how that works we were i think we were the eighth seed the year we won it and we just got hot you know for four games and then the other years where we lost you know, we were really good teams. Just kind of funny how, you know, playoff oh, hockey is. You just kind of got to get hot. I mean, right that time. just happened last season with the Mathas, the number one team in the league, and then got that first round loss to Landon. So, with college, you do play a season between high school and uh, UNH in the USHL with Muskegon. But when did UNH first reach out to you, um, and you did the commitment and things like that? Was that while you were still at the Matha, or later on once you were already in the the U show? No, that, yeah, that was my senior year at Tamatha. So, uh, you know, I was playing for Team Maryland. I was, like I, I mentioned earlier, you know, I was just a, probably an average player. Um, and then I, I could always skate. You know, that was my strong suit. And uh, I think it was probably maybe between my sophomore and my junior year, I grew like four or five inches. And, uh, then, yeah, and then I was six one, and then I could skate. So, uh, you know, it kind of went things just sort of snowballed for me pretty quickly. You know, I, I think my sophomore year, uh, when I was at the math, my club team, I think I had like 10 goals that year for team Maryland. And then my junior year, I think I had 50. <laughs> um, so, you know, I just kind of, uh, I grew, you know, I grew, I could skate. I just started putting things together and, 
you know, I didn't even think about college hockey or prep school or anything. And uh, I think it would have probably been that summer, you know, my junior year uh, going into Team Maryland where my coach kind of pulled me aside and said, you know, if, if you put your, uh, you know, if you dedicate yourself to this, you know, you could, you could probably do this for, for a while and, and go to, go to school for free and, and, and maybe play after. That was kind of the first time he put the bug in my ear. Like I said, I didn't even think about it. Right. I was a third, fourth line penalty killer and just, you know, having the time. So I think that, you know, when he told me that that year I came back and I had a really good year, my, my two line mates at Team Maryland were both Division One guys, and they were a year older than me. So just a ton of scouts were going out to watch those guys play. And so they, by chance they saw me play. And uh, so that, that my junior year at DeMatha, UNH just basically said, you know, we like what we see. He's on our short list for, for the beginning of next year. We're going to come out. And um, so the next year is when I really started to kind of get my college interest. It all started with, you know, Ivy League schools and ECAC schools. And uh, so, I, you know, I took a bunch of visits and UNH basically offered me as a walk-on um, at first. They said, you know, you can come if you want. We're not sure how much you're going to play, um, but, you know, you're you're on the team. Nice. So I, I was kind of disappointed, you know, talking right. to my, my coach. I said, you know, I, I want to go here. But uh, they don't like me, whatever the whole thing. Right. So I kind of a risk up, you had to take in a way. Yeah, exactly. So I ended up going up there on like a Saturday night. They played Boston College at home, and they won. Oh, that's a and big they, game. And that made them win uh, the Hockey East title. Yeah. And uh, so I just went down. I, I went back to the hotel. I told my parents. I said, you know, I'll, I'll figure it out. I want to go here. Nice. So uh, that's so- that's pretty much the extent of how I ended up getting there. It was just early my senior year at DeMatha is when they, they offered me. You um you mentioned that you were like a a big penalty killer for your teams uh like a third fourth line grinder is that the like the role that you've always had and if you just kind of embraced that or like how how did that come about? Yeah, I, I think you know when you when you get older and you go to these teams you know whether it's the USHL and, and, and college and everything uh you, you just want to play yeah and, and the and the best way to play is to be valuable right just and, embrace your uh, role. So you know my senior my freshman year at UNH. You know, it was, you know, how can you stay in the lineup? How can you, you know, get those eight shifts a game, whatever it was. So I kind of just, you know, I, I was a good penalty killer. I was I always was fast. So I kind of part, part, parlayed those things and just said, you know, what's going to keep me in the lineup every night, you know, when I'm younger? And that was the penalty kill. So um, that's kind of how that started. Just wanted to, to not be in the stands, you know, wanted to be at least shooting up every night. And uh, the other thing was uh, Nick. So did you play with Nick Sorkin on that team? Wasn't he? Isn't he uh, from Maryland too? Or yep. So when I when I grew up, um, you know those team Maryland teams, we had uh, Nick Sorkin was my line mate. So he went to UNH. I went to UNH, and then my other line mate uh, Max Goudreau also went to UNH. So oh, there so was that... three of us, and they pretty much recruited all three of us at, at about the same time. Nice. Okay, so that definitely helps uh, play into I guess the comfort level of going to UNH. But I kind of want to uh, digress back to that. I mean, you mentioned you go to UNH after you choose to go in UNH after that awesome weekend, um, but going in there knowing that you were going to be a walk-on, not sure about playtime. I mean, you mentioned other colleges. I'm sure there's a couple colleges that reached out and said, hey, you can come in, be on the team, get playtime, do all this. And, I mean, if not for UNH, I mean, what was probably the second choice? What were you thinking? Yeah, it, it came down to UNH or, or Northeastern. Um, you know, I, w- I went and did a, a big visit of um, you know, Brown, Princeton, and Harvard. 
Um, you know, I really like those schools, but you know, to be honest, just being from Maryland and, and having hockey not be the biggest sport around here. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I know it. You know, I'm, I'm a huge football, basketball fan. You come from Damatha, you know, football, basketball, everything. Yep. I just wanted to go to a school where you know hockey was the sport, right. and you know the passion was there. And um, you know, those other schools I visited were were awesome, but I just kind of felt like people kind of second know, what, fiddle in terms of athletics. Exactly, or you know, the Ivy League schools. You know, guys were going there to go to school first to play hockey second. And, uh, you know, I kind of just decided, you know, I I had one shot at it and I wanted to go somewhere that was, you know, really rich in hockey tradition, but also was, you know, going to be playing in front of, you know, in in big arenas and big games and and be, you know, competitive on the the national level every year. Right. Now, something that I'm kind of curious about um, with not only you, but kind of all um, commits like that. Now, you do that. You do the year in the USHL before going to college. Does UNH kind of have a say in that in terms of hey here's some teams you should maybe go try out for and maybe veer towards this league this staff or is it kind of all on you You kind of get to choose where you want to go um barring you make a team and whatnot yeah i think that they they have uh sort of an unofficial influence i guess you could say um so i you know i had a pretty big year i was committed i i knew i was going to go you know relatively high in that ushl draft and you know unh knew that as well and um so i think that they they certainly have uh you know not necessarily a team that they would prefer not as more of you know a coaching staff they may they maybe have a better relationship or not so um you know at the time um, uh, you know i don't really know the conversations that that went on in, in the back there but I, right. I you know i know that they were comfortable with me going to muskegon you know at the time the, the it was an expansion team but the coach uh, kevin patrick had just come from wisconsin and, you know, he was an awesome coach and had a great reputation. So I think that, um, you know, that was on sort of their shorter list than those first, five, you know, I think I was the sixth overall pick in that USHL draft. So, you know, they were, I'm sure that there was some teams that they preferred that they went to and they try to push you that way as yeah. best you can. Like a little nudge. Um, exactly. Just, yeah. you know, to help your development. <clears throat> Unofficially yeah. official type thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So fast forward a little, you get to your senior year at UNH. It's hockey semifinals. You played number three, Boston U. Um, lose that game. Was that the farthest you guys made it in your tenure there or? So my sophomore year, we actually were the number one team in the country at Christmas. Okay. Uh, I think we started out like 11 and one. Um, and that year we ended up going to the hockey East finals of the garden and we lost in the finals. And then, uh, we went to the regional in Manchester. We beat Denver in the first round. So then we played UMass Lowell and we lost uh, two nothing to go to the frozen four. Mm. So that was my sophomore year. Damn. Gotcha. So it seems to be sophomore year is kind of your thing, then. <laughs> I get. Yeah, I guess it, maybe I should have just you know kept yeah, redshirting and transferring yeah, and see it. how long I can so, milk that sophomore right. year. So college kind of coming to an end. Um, I think you've always had the plan of kind of following your dad's footsteps with the business. I mean, it's what you majored in, all that type of stuff. Now, knowing it was coming to an end, did you always have plans of playing after school or? to maybe try to progress your career a little or is that kind of a, maybe I'll play one or two more years have a little bit more fun and then get into the business world because I mean knowing you'd, you'd be able to do it yeah you know I always wanted to play I just wasn't sure um you know I was a I was a productive player at UNH but you know not on the level that you you know really need to be where I was thinking I was going to be able to sign an NHL contract right. or anything um and then you know my senior year our, our team really struggled we had 10 10 freshmen and uh, the first half of the year, our, our, our team really struggled. And, 
you know, we came back from Christmas, the, the coach made some changes, actually got, you know, some, some ice time with, uh, some of the better players and, um, you know, ended up having, you know, about a point a game the rest of the way. And that sort of opened up some opportunities for me, um, you know, after my, my, my senior year to play and, you know, then I got, got to sign with, uh, you know, the Blackhawks organization and go to American league training camp that year and, uh, you know, play in the, in the East coast league for, for a few teams that following year. Yeah, yeah, so you go to the East Coast League. I mean, kind of talk about that first year, because the first year and the second year are drastically different, I guess you could say. I mean, you spend that first year uh, with Allen, South Carolina, Indy, Evansville, just kind of playing some games here and there for each team. What was that first year like? I mean, what was the reasoning behind um, the switch in teams and whatnot? Yeah, I was a total suitcase my first year. <laughs> um so, yeah, I mean, it, it's a long story, essentially. You know, I, I, I went to American League camp for for the for the Blackhawks. I, you know, played in preseason. And, you know, I, and in my opinion, I was playing, you know, my best hockey was in that American League training camp. I, I played well and gotten good reviews from the, the Blackhawks assistant GM and the, the head coach at the time that would have been their coast team. Um, That'll bump your but, confidence. But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I, you know, I thought everything was good, and I get to training camp, and I realized that the, the Hawks had just signed a ton of players. And, you know, when you sign guys like that, it just sort of trickles down. So, you know, my stallmate in uh, that American League training camp for the Blackhawks, which was in Rockford, was Danny Paye, oh, you know, who's nice. like 1,500 NHL games. <laughs> yeah, and three Stanley, Stanley Cup winner. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, like, uh, you know, Bickle, they had sent Bickle down. And, you know, you have these bona fide NHL guys. Yep. Um, so it just sort of pushes, you know, the whole organization down. And I end up getting to training camp for the, the, the Coast, you know, team that I had a contract with. Um, but it just, you know, when you're a rookie, you're you're sort of always the, the first one out the door. And, unfortunately, it was pretty much a numbers game. You know, they right. had a... You know, I think at the time they had maybe sent down eight or nine American League guys um, to be on their coast team. And then, you know, the, the coast rosters aren't as big as a regular team. You don't have, you know, 12, four, you know, you don't have 14 forwards on your team. You know, you're only allowed to dress, you know, 17 players every night. Yeah. So, um, you know, you I just was sort of, you know, unfortunate in the, in the numbers department there. And then, you know, once I kind of started bouncing around some teams, I was playing well. But when you're the the last one in the door you're always the first one out and i was sort of the easiest one to you know if someone got sent down i was an easy one to to cut because i hadn't been on the team for very long so that kind of just perpetuated that cycle at least my first year where i was you know playing good hockey but you know everywhere i was at it seemed like you know when i was in south carolina i you know played three pretty good games and all of a sudden the cap sent down three people from right. from hershey and you know that pretty much was the writing on the wall for the them so. effect with i guess every organization there i mean year two a lot better obviously you find the home with elmira uh 60 games played there 30 points um and then you kind of call it a career so what was the moment or what kind of made you make that decision that hey uh that tough one that we kind of all go through it's time to um head to the business world hang up the skates and maybe go rip up some beer leagues yeah, it was uh, no. That, that my second year was was a blast. Our, our team wasn't great, but you know I was playing really good hockey and I was getting to play, and that's when you have the most fun. Yeah, it's just it's it's a it's a big time grind. You know that year, I think between preseason and then regular season games, I think I had played you know close to seventy games, 
and uh, in the coast, you're not exactly flying around first class yeah, and standing at the Ritz everywhere you go. And you're staying at Motel 6s and stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, you're you're playing and you jump on the bus for eight hours. You're getting in at 4 a.m. You sleep all day. You play again. And it's just on repeat. Um, you know, so it was an absolute blast of a year. You know, met a lot of really good guys, had some good teammates. But I got back that summer and, and kind of didn't know what I wanted to do. And uh, I usually would take about a month off and then I'd be kind of chomping at the bit to get back into it. But, uh, you know, that summer I came back, I took about a month off and I just didn't could kind of tell. I said, you know, I'm really not dying to get back to the rink and, yeah. and, and work out all kind summer. Of so. Think back to how fucking worn down you got <laughs> just that exactly. whole season the year before. Like, do I really want to put myself through this again? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And, and you think about, you start to think about that stuff. I mean, you know, like my thing about a month left in my last year, I, I broke uh, three of my toes on my foot blocking a shot. Jesus. And, uh, so I played like the whole last month with three broken toes and, you know, I'm making 700 bucks a week uh-huh. and you're kind of just stuff like that. You kind of, afterwards, you just sort of evaluate, Is it you know, it? It, yeah, is it worth it? And, and I have, you know, certainly have no regrets behind the whole thing, but I think at some point, and luckily for me, I went to college and I got a degree and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I had a plan. So I think at some point I just had to make a decision of what was better for me the rest of my life. And, you know, I, I was lucky to play. And when you play in hockey East, you know, every team you, know, you play against or with, you know, has guys that are in the NHL and, you know, my teams at UNH, you know, we had four players make it to the NHL from those teams and you know, just how good they are. And yep. It's it's insane you know, how good they are, and at some point I think I just realized that I'd made it a, a really a, a long way, but I it wasn't as good as those guys were, and there's really nothing wrong with that because they're the one percent of the one percent. Right. Yeah, and, and you knew you set yourself up for, like you said, a backup plan, something that could uh, sustain you instead of trying to <laughs> strive and survive in the world of hockey. And like the opportunity just to play in those atmospheres had to have been unreal. Like just playing against yeah. oh, BU, yeah, BC, absolutely. like all those teams. Like, yeah, I mean, we 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 had to play a, an outdoor game at Fenway Park. Oh um, shit, Freshman yeah. year, um, you know, some of those games, the the regional game we played, you know, we played our tournament game was in Manchester, so it's basically a home game for us. That's awesome. Um, you know, we played at the Garden. Um, you know, we beat uh, my senior year. We beat UMA, our. Uh, providence college two out of three to go to the garden they won the national championship that year mm-hmm. um you know you play you know, just play so many cool atmospheres in college you know yeah. we did trips to notre dame to michigan all of these just awesome road trips to play and you know it's just such college hockey there's really nothing like it yeah. I, I i love my time at unh and, and playing in college that's all you can really ask for so did you ahead. did you uh did you play that BC team that had like Kevin Hayes and like Johnny Goudreau and all them? Were you were you on UNH then or? Yep. So that, I think that would probably be my sophomore and junior years. That year, Goudreau had like seventy points. Yeah. And it was him, Hayes, and Arnold, and it was they were. Yeah, that was. It, a, it was they were incredible. Filthy team. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I think that 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 line. Uh, you know, my senior year, we lost at the Garden. That was the team with Eichel on it. You know, he was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I remember my freshman year we played BU and they had that uh, Chia San who ended up playing some games for the Caps. Yeah, yeah. You know, he was he was so incredible. Yeah, exactly. So 
you just you you lose you know you play against so many of those guys it's 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 hilarious just turn the tv on and you watch an nhl game or i'll go to a caps game or whatever you look at the rosters and it's just you know Uh littered with guys you played against or hockey east guys and everything awesome so last question from me here i'm sure um afterwards ab might try to pull a story or two out of you (laughs) um so Looking back your entire career, you got youth, you got the math, uh, your UNH years, your Coast League, the U show. I mean, kind of thinking back, I mean, what was your best season overall in terms of if you could go back and kind of replay one season, um, what would that be? Whether it was uh, personal success, team success, uh, maybe just a brotherhood you had with one of those teams or, I mean, tough question. I know it don't have to be answered correctly, but I kind of if you had to pick one team, one season to kind of, like I said, replay, uh, what do you think that'd be? Oh, it's definitely my my sophomore year when we were number one at, at UNH. I mean, it, just to be you know the, uh, on the best team in the country at the Division One level. I mean, it's just our team was incredible. I think we had lost maybe like one game at Christmas. We were just beating everyone. I remember we used to be down like two nothing, and we were just like, yeah, we're gonna win. This we're fine, good. and we would come back and win. Um, you know, we had three NHL players on that team, you know, two of our top four defensemen are, were in the NHL, in the NHL still, um, our team was just awesome. It was a great Cooper guys. And, um, you know, whenever you're number one like that, you know, everywhere you go or all of our home games are sold out, you know, right. you go on the road, everything's sold out because they want to beat you. And exactly. They're playing the number one team in the country. You know, we went out and, and we played Denver and they were at the time three. And at the time we were two. And uh, I think we came back down either three, uh, three, I think it was three, nothing and four, one. And we came back and beat Denver at Denver to go to number one in the country. And we just, that whole season was awesome. And then, you know, you win the first game in the regionals and you just, we played great the second, the second night against UMass Lowell. They had uh, Connor Hellebuck, who's totally for the Winnipeg Jets now. And he just shut the door on us. And yeah, he's not bad. (laughs) It's one of those things where you, you know, we were definitely good enough to win the national championship that year. And, uh, you know, that year and your number one is campus is just, you know, on fire. It yeah. was just so much fun that year. So that was probably my, my favorite year. Yeah, for sure. Uh, are you, so are you from the area? Are you living in the area now? Yep. I'm in Annapolis now. So my, I'm, yeah, grew up my whole life in Easton. You and pl- then just, are you playing around here or no? Yeah. I play a couple of times a week. Um, me and my old UNH teammate that I was telling you about Max, yeah. uh, we, we, play we have like a, a closed pickup sort of okay. league in Annapolis. Oh, that's nice. So every, every Wednesday night we do that. Uh, it's like a kind of invite only pickup yeah. that way. No um, scrubs. As, as fun <laughs> as, it's, it's a good skate, but we got some older guys too that just love playing. And, um, you know, I, I played some men's league at Piney and all that thing. I, I love playing and, you know, I hate, Running on the treadmill, so I figure yeah. anytime I play hockey, it's better skate, than that. Have a beer or two, maybe afterwards, and call it a good night. Yeah, exactly. So you know, we do that every Wednesday night, and it's a blast. And when you when you have the close pickup, at least you know no one's going to be uh, a jerk or anything like that. You don't have to worry about anyone playing Game Seven of Stanley Cup on a Tuesday night at eleven o'clock at Piney when you got work the next day. Yeah, Piney Laurel, anything yeah, like just that? Just bring a thirty rack on the bench, you're good. <laughs> you score a couple goals, and they're hacking the hell out of you. But I think that's going to do it for us, Casey. We uh, greatly appreciate you coming on, taking the time with us, telling your story, and uh, maybe we'll see you behind the bench here soon in the area with uh, the Matha squad. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate it, guys. Any any time, uh, you know, good luck with the the podcast and everything. It's good work you're doing, at least bring some more attention to Maryland hockey. So not not everyone uh, does that. Yeah, kind of get the name out there, and then we've have like like yourself, you have plenty of successful players that have gone on. So kind of gets people around the area. Currently, let them know that hey, There's uh, a little bit we'll of hope. Work a little hard. Yeah. Hey, you work hard, you're gonna get somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, uh, to, I wish I were worked a little harder. Maybe I wouldn't be in Annapolis still, but uh, that's you know, not was, the worst place. Yeah, it was a, it was a it was a fun ride. So I appreciate you guys having me on. All right, my man. Thanks again. All right, take care, right, guys. All right, guys. We're now welcome on uh, an awesome guest here, Mister Thirty Five, the King of Grit, assistant to the great and powerful Leroy that we just got to meet. Uh, co-host of Number One Sports Podcast. Pardon my take, Mister PFT Commenter, dude. What's up? Hey guys, I'm doing great. I'm doing great, all things considered. Looking forward to talking a little hockey here, uh, even though there hasn't been what it's been like two months since the last game. It's been about two months, so we'll let's let's just yeah. kick it off right there. I mean, what were your thoughts so far on the season with the team? I mean, we made that trade for Dilly, got Kovalchuk, only got like four games out of him, but yeah, uh, Kovalchuk was promising. So he's one of those guys that like you know everybody will always remember him for that crazy contract that he signed. And uh, he seems to be a good player still. I went, I saw them play at uh, MSG. This is back in March at some point, like right before they, they canceled the season. Oh, that's um, a game. Yeah, yeah, that was unreal. I've never seen a player dominate a game like that before, but at least got some overtime in there. Um, yeah. I was feeling pretty good about it. I, I felt like the team was on a good trajectory. I've always been a little gun shy whenever the caps come out of the gate too strong and whenever they just dominate and wreck everybody's shit for the entire season, because as you guys have seen over the years, you know, uh, although many would say winning the president's cup is more important than winning a Stanley cup <laughs> and banners fly forever. Banners do fly forever, baby. Uh, you know, it, it sometimes there's something to be said about just getting right, getting hot at the, uh, at the right time. So I think we were on the path to do that. You know, I, I said about six months ago that, I feel like this is going to be some even year bullshit for the Caps. Like how the, the Giants, they win every even year, uh, or at least they did. They win mm-hmm. the World Series every every even year for six years in a row. So um, maybe that's the spin zone that I'm looking to right now. But I was looking forward to playoff hockey most of all. Well, here goes spin zone. If we do get this playoff, say they start July 1st, and the Caps have been fucking sitting around for two, two and a half months, three months. We came into the season, like you just said, just kind of hot as hell, just – Rip, what did we start, like 25, 6, and 3 or something? I mean, we sucked towards the end of the season there. We come into these playoffs after a three-month break. That might be like the start of a new season right there, baby, and we start ripping it off. It would be great. It would be great to see. I mean, playoff hockey is just such – like, it's such an adrenaline rush. You don't have to do drugs if you're watching playoff <laughs> hockey because it is it, – it's crazy shit. So, I, I'm hoping that the playoffs do come back. You know, July 1st will be great. Love to see the Caps make some noise, at least, you know, at least – bring my cardio rate up a little bit for for a few nights in there but um yeah i'm i'm hopeful i can't imagine living in a world where there's no playoff hockey no playoff basketball or just anything at all in terms of sports so kind of taking it back a bit i mean what you remember kind of your first memory going to caps games when you first started getting in the team because i mean you're from what virginia virginia area or yeah yeah from northern virginia so i i would go to caps games you know i went to the old u.s air arena a few times so uh, I've been going since I was probably six or seven years old. I remember seeing a lot of playoff heartbreak. I remember having to rush to the Metro to take it back um, because they would close it down at like 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. 
Yeah, still do. And I'd, I'd have to like leave the third period of playoff games early. There was one time when I left too late, I got stuck in the city and I missed some sort of recital that my nephew or, or cousin had. I forget. But uh, I've been going to Caps games since I was probably seven years old. And there's been a lot of heartbreak that went along with that, but also a lot of pretty good times. Like I, I remember back, um, I can see you're, you've got the old Caps uh, logo right behind you there yeah, this is the uh this is the custom turpin jersey like i said we'll send you one of these and there's, there's some pretty sly jerseys it's so funny because i remember when they changed that logo i was like oh this logo kicks ass and then mm-hmm. after about eight years i was like this is the worst logo in all sports yeah. and then <laughs> i think starting catch, man yeah then like two years ago when i saw somebody rock that our cameraman ben Fournette wore one of those at the uh the lightning game seven game I was like, holy shit, that, that's awesome. You got the throwback? That's cool as hell. So it's like swinging back, even though I know in the back of my head it's probably the worst logo in all sports. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like it's like every single jersey. Like those, now that we're seeing like this in the last dance for like all of the 90s NBA jerseys that used to be ugly as shit, now it's just like, dude, these jerseys are so sweet. Yeah, exactly. Um, Except the, the Wizards redesign. The Wizards logo is just always going to be shit. Yeah. Well, unless we go back to bullets, but it's problematic, but we could. Right. I actually do like the Wizards jerseys that look like the Bullets jerseys. That's the thing. I just don't like anything that has the uh, the Wizard anywhere on it. That's true. That Wizard's <laughs> fucking gross. Uh, AB, you got some hot takes. Right. Yeah, so uh, you are the king of hot takes. Um, I've been sitting on a couple here. Um, so everyone that's not a Cavs fan basically will always say, Ovi never passes the puck. All he does is shoot the puck. My hot take is he passes too much. Um, do you think Ovi passes the puck too much? I mean, he's the greatest goal scorer on earth. Why is he passing the puck at all? He's just, he should just be shooting whenever he touches the puck in the offensive zone. I actually agree with that entirely. Like, I think that's, I don't think that he should even go back on defense at all. I Thank think you. that he should just, he should stay. They should turn offsides off like it's NHL 94, and exactly. he should just set up in his office and wait for the puck. No, I, I, that is a hot take, but. You know, there's some truth to it where he's the best goal scorer ever, so why not? I Actually, I've been camping out on this take for a while, uh, and now I see other people are catching up to it. I think Ovechkin is a better hockey player all around than Wayne Gretzky. And uh, if you look at the goalies that Wayne played against and then the goalies that – I don't think it was – I don't think you were allowed to, like, put your knee on the ice as a goalie back in the 80s. Yeah, no, I don't sure. even think they wore pads. I don't – they probably didn't even have skates on. They had, like, a twig in one hand and a catcher's mitt in the other. And uh, for some reason, you know, Wayne Gretzky was able to score. I, don't, I forget how many, um, how many assists and goals combined he has, but uh, it would probably be a quarter of that if he had to play against 2000s and 2010s goals. I would agree. OV could probably take a slap shot from his own defensive end. And from fucking, on. yeah, center ice and just – they're yeah. either on their also, skates or they two-pad stack and they're immediately on their ass. Right. Also, OV could beat the fuck out of Wayne Gretzky. Oh, he's like – like YouTube Wayne yeah. is the only hockey player I've ever seen play in a turtleneck. And Alexander <laughs> Ovechkin would pull that shit over his face and just beat him until the sun don't shine. You do. Yeah, I mean, Wayne Gretzky's get greatest hits and you won't find any. Right. I mean, I got in this, <laughs> this discussion in a, in a bar in Arizona, got in a fight with a guy wearing a Wayne Gretzky jersey, went out out there for the Yotes and Caps. But I'll bring it back to the bars in D.C. That's a, that's, that's a smart move on your part, but that's also a little bit – of a bullshit move. If you see the guy who's wearing the Wayne Gretzky jersey, you know that you can probably beat that guy up. You're not going to fight the guy. You're not going to fight the guy in a Paul Bissonnette jersey. Sure. Nah, walk away. Uh, you just try to read him something and you're good. Yeah, just <laughs> knock him out with words. 
All right. So I want to want to ask you, what's your um, Mount Rushmore of pregame and postgame bars in DC to go to if you're headed to a Caps game? That's a good question. So I mean, you're kind of limited, and I haven't been to too many Caps games in the last few years. I've been to. Let's see, um, Rocket Bar. I love Rocket yep. Bar. That, that's it's the problem that, with that is is black. You black out. That Rocket true. Bar, and it's also it's also really dark down there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you say that you black out, that's that sounds like it's a personal. Issue. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just game not the game. Uh, so there's Rocket Bar. There's Clyde's right next door. Um, those are really the two that I go to. I try. I don't really bar hop that much before mm-hmm. games. I go to like one or two, set up shop there for a while, and then go in and then, you know, find your way to the, the green turtle or whatever afterwards. But yeah, actually, there, there have been a few yeah. games. Yeah, RIP. Um, I've, I've done a couple nights where I double dip at Rocket Bar. I start at Rocket Bar, go to the game, Ooh. leave, end up at Rocket Bar again. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I don't know even know if I can fill out a fourth Four. spot on my Mount yeah. Rushmore. Yeah, I think yeah, I, I've the- just got those. Yeah, because they shut down Bar Louie, but Bar Louie was garbage. Green Turtle, RIP. I remember Rocket Bar most at the yeah the, the year we went to the Cup. A handful of us went there, but you had to get there at like fucking three p.m. because it was like Tampa Game Six, I think it was. We got there at night at three p.m. and obviously didn't leave till the game was over. That was like twelve. And I was like, Chuh. Yeah. The, the nice part about Rocket Bar was uh, if you go inside, you don't really have to have a bouncer that's checking to make sure that you're too drunk because they've got that flight of stairs. That True. goes down at like a 70 degree angle. So <laughs> right. it's like natural selection. If you can't make it down to the basement, then uh, you, you don't deserve to be inside. Yeah. I was going to mention that earlier. Those, those steps can get you at the end of the night too. I mean, trying to get out of that place is like, Oh, here we go. It's like, oh, fucking chick, chicks have definitely found fell down those stairs and high heels or something like that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. Is there a more Bud Light drinkability bar in America than rocket bar? I feel like everybody <laughs> just goes in there and they're, they're just like, give me 50 Bud Lights. Yep. <laughs> And I get two more buckets after two more buckets after two more buckets. It just keeps going. Yeah, and then you get a pint. You get a draft Bud Light, too, to kind of balance you out a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, maybe a tequila soda to put you over the edge. Uh, AB, go ahead, man. I think I got a couple um, more. I was going to say, more hot takes over here. Um, This actually kind of came from the idea of uh, one of your good friends, Ryan Whitney. He's mentioned it on Spit and Chicklets a couple times, how valuable Tom Wilson is because there's not many people, not many players in the league like him. He's an enforcer, and he can score goals at the same time. He kind of does it all. Should he be recognized as one of the most valuable players in the league? I think Tom Wilson is turned into too much of a pretty boy recently. That's my hot take. Ooh. I think I think his, he's uh, skating too well. He's passing too well. Uh, he's uh, he's not fighting as much as he used to. Yeah, so, it hasn't been suspended um, yet. Come on, That's man. True. What's up with that? Well, my, my take on that was he's always just been clumsy. Like all his, all the yeah, borderline skate. hits. Yeah, he can't skate. He's just, you know, he's like a baby deer out on the ice trying to walk for the first time. So yeah. you can't really hold that against him. But um, yeah, Tom Wilson getting to be a little bit too much of a pretty boy for you. But still, I'd, I'd much rather have him on my team than play against him. Yeah. And then last one is um, we have a lot of Russians on the team, obviously. I mean, it's Basically, we gotta have the most, I think. We definitely we have team. to have them. Austin St. Louis, yeah. I mean, we and we trade for Kovalchuk. I mean, and it, it started all back in like 2008, 2009. We had we had Semin, we had Fedorov, we had Viktor Kazov. I mean, we've always had Russians. Do you think Putin has pretty infiltrated America through the organization of the Washington Capitals? One step further, is there a member of the KGB in the Washington Capitals organization? Uh, the answer to your first question, 
Uh, has Putin infiltrated? Yes, there is Russian interference. I saw some of those bullshit calls that the refs made in the playoffs last year against the Hurricanes. Yep. There was some Russian interference going on there. Also, I think that uh, Alexander Vechkin is probably working for GRU or KGB or whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. He made a commercial on SportsCenter about 10 years ago where he dropped him and Varley, yeah. SPN. Yeah, you remember that? Uh-huh. that him and Varley. Oh, yeah. They dropped to the ceiling, and then they like laugh it off, and they pretend that they're not spies. That's the definition of hiding in plain sight. (laughs) Listen, the way that he's gone gray over the last five years, you don't go that gray unless you're getting some sort of intelligence briefing every single day. Like, look at Obama. Look at what happened to Bush when he was in office. Look at what happened to Clinton when he was in office. You age if you're seeing all the real shit that's out there that's putting countries in danger. I think he's getting those intelligence briefings, and that's what's turning him into a silver fox. Yeah, I've never seen a 35-year-old with so much gray hair. I got to be honest. It's kind of I mean, sick, though. It like is tight. It, it's, it's like that's the difference between Russians and Americans, I think, is he parties harder than anybody, any 25-year-old <laughs> that I've ever known. His right. body stays in perfect shape, just like all the toxins only go to his hair. That's it. That's, that's the only part of his body that's affected by it. I mean, he's got to be the greatest athlete in the world, considering he crosses all the sauces. And Dr. Pepper on the bench, yeah. Yeah, Dr. Pepper and Cokes on the during games on the bench. I mean, that's insane. Like how athletes aren't supposed to do that. Yeah. You could make the argument that Alexander Veskin is the greatest athlete in the history of sport. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, kind of American Pharaoh number one. I forgot about that. True. Pharaoh. Yeah, you can't forget to that. <laughs> so kind of going back, you mentioned kind of the thrill, the adrenaline in a playoff game. I mean, game five, you talked about a little bit on PMT. Uh go game five, Vegas win the game after party, you kind of sneak in, had your shorts on. And then next thing you know, Orlov's getting you kind of a what the fuck look while you're drinking out of a cup, kind of go into more, a little more about that night. Yeah, that was, that was one of those nights where I had to kind of pinch myself. Like, is this, is this really happening? Where I thought that maybe I died four years ago. And this is just, you know, what, where your brain goes after you pass away. Cause I never would have thought number one, that the Washington Capitals would win a Stanley cup. Number no. two, it happens in Las Vegas. What? Number three, I get to I get to drink out of the cup after the game, wearing the jinko like the jinko equivalent of khakis that I can't even fit around my waist. Uh, so that night after the game was over, um, went back, recorded part of my take, at least the intro for about a half hour. Um, a friend of a friend was with the team, and they introduced me to some of the players on the team. They uh, it was like T.J. Oshie, Dmitry Orlov, and uh, I believe Simon was there and Lars Eller. And so we go to Hakistan, which is this club. I think it's at the MGM and I don't get in cause I'm wearing shorts. And yeah. I was like on the way over, I was like, I don't think they're going to let me in this door because I'm wearing shorts. And it's a really nice nightclub. And they're like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. You're with the team. And so we get up there and the bouncer's like, no, nobody can get in if they're not wearing shorts. It, I don't care if, if you just won the Stanley cup, you're not getting in. So I go and I buy those shorts I almost run into Ovi while I'm running through the casino to buy these pants at the, uh, at the gift shop. He's walking around the corner, carrying the cup, singing. So I don't know what he's, he's singing. Like we are champion. We are champion. And everyone is like backpedaling, taking pictures of him. These two girls just totally eat shit as they're trying to like videotape him walking through the casino. They fall, hit their head on a slot machine. Nobody cares. They keep walking. Um, I go, I buy these pants, I get in and I'm hanging out with some of the people there. And the cup is kind of on the other side of the room. And I've looked very out of place. I don't look like a hockey player. I don't look like an athlete. 
I look like a weirdo in these pants and a security guard comes over and he taps me on my shoulder and he's got this flashlight that he shines in my face. And I'm like, Oh shit, I'm getting kicked out. Even though like I, that's, that's where my brain goes whenever somebody yeah, taps me. Yeah. Even if I'm supposed to be there, I'm like, Oh God damn it. I'm getting kicked <laughs> out. Uh, and he was like, come here, see that guy over there. And he points to another security guard with a flashlight. He's like, go to that guy. And so that happens about three more times where one security guard just like points the way to a different security guard. Eventually I get put in the same booth as the Stanley cup. And I, to this day have no idea who called me over there. It was like, it was me, DSP, uh, or love. Yeah. All legends. Um, and I'm trying to remember who else was there. There were like 20 girls that I don't never got their names and <laughs> They, uh, they didn't ask for mine and, uh, they just point me to the cup. And I feel like it was, I feel like it was DSP that poured like a pitcher of beer into the Stanley cup to top it off. And he was like, here you go, man. And I took a sip and it was the most incredible experience. And then I started walking away and I don't know, I think exactly Leonis was there. Um, but he said that he wasn't the one that called me over to this day. I don't know who got me over to uh to the stanley cup but it was just a crazy crazy experience and um so glad i got a picture of it too because i didn't even play yeah. that i was just going to drink out of the cup and then nobody was going to believe me that i got to well, do somebody it, snagged but, that um, pick yeah was it like somebody got it of like blacking out from pure excitement basically yeah I mean, well it, it would like yeah from pure excitement and also just alcohol yeah, yeah that, that helps <laughs> just walking around in a daze yeah, and uh, then I, I stayed there for like another couple hours and, and just partied and made it back to the hotel room and I couldn't fall asleep because I was too excited about what just happened. So at that point, it was about 5 a.m. I go down and I played roulette for another seven hours until it was time for my, uh, my flight. So it was money? an amazing experience. I don't remember. <laughs> I, don't th- I don't think so. If I did win money, I definitely spent all of it. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, usually right. you do remember if you, if you win money. Yeah. It's when Sometimes. you don't. Yeah. I don't know. I lost a lot. I might have won a bunch of money and then just accidentally tipped the cocktail waitresses like twenty bucks and chips every time that they came by. I don't know. I, I <laughs> they're all the same it's color. Not that that I was, it's not even that I was that drunk. It was just like I was just so filled with joy and excitement because yeah, as excitement. you guys can relate, yeah. as DC sports fans, up until that point we had there was nothing that we ever got to celebrate ever. I'm thinking right. back from 1991 the only times I can remember being ecstatic about being a DC sports fan, uh, when we, when Strasburg made his first start, that was yeah. pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when we got to the playoffs under Joe Gibbs and we beat Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. I was thinking like, okay, we're good going into next year. We're going to be awesome. Uh, and that's about it. I mean, that yeah, first RG three playoff game. Oh, I was yeah, at the yeah, RG three playoff game. I the thought we were run, going yeah. to Atlanta. <laughs> Yeah, I was at RG3's first game in New Orleans. And um, I, I definitely felt the excitement in there. I was like, okay, I am falling in love with football again. And this guy, I remember I turned to my friend at the, at the time. I was like, we found our quarterback for the next 15 years. Yeah. So no. I remember being like was, 15 rows up at that Seahawks game when Bruce Irving just took his fucking knee. I was like, ah, well, see ya. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we haven't had a lot to root for until the last couple of years. So I was just, I was so excited that, at that point that, I didn't know what to do with myself, so I just couldn't go to sleep. Well, we got on to the topic of the Reds, the R words here. My bad. Um, do you think uh, with this new like kind of regrouping, is it the R words year soon? 
I think so. I like Ron Rivera. I like Riverboat Ron. I like Jack Del Rio. Um, the big wild card is obviously Dan Snyder. We've, we've heard this story before. Like Dan is going hands off and letting football people make football decisions. They love saying that. You can reprint that article every like five years. Um, but now this time he's finally learned his lesson, he says. So uh, uh, I'm excited. Yeah. Do we believe that or? No, I don't. But I tell you have to tell yourself that. Like you, if you're looking forward to one new thing about this new regime, it's like Dan Snyder's not doing anything anymore. So he already said that. Uh, right. So I choose to believe him, even though it's probably not true. I was secretly hoping for Tua in the draft, but that's just because I'm dumb and I like having a new quarterback. It's cool. True. Like when you're like, you can do that every year. It'd be ideal. Yeah, absolutely. But Chase Young is, you know, he's going to be a monster and he's a good draft pick. Don't get me wrong. I was just rooting for a left-handed quarterback because that way you don't have to spend money at the left tackle position. I thought that I I like mentally hacked the draft (laughs) and I was like, all these teams are paying so much money and premiums for left tackles. If you get a left-handed quarterback, you can pay a right tackle tackle a little bit less money. Yep. It's true. I mean, I mean, that's a good solid spin zone and a good way to save salary cap. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think you broke something down there. But my next question would be, um, so we know you love the fullbacks. Fullbacks is pretty much the best position in football. Um, But since we're a hockey podcast, what type of hockey player do you think is most like the fullback? Like, would you take like a a forward, like a hard-hitting forward like Tom Wilson or a stay-at-home defenseman? Uh, Again, what do you think is the – fullback position in hockey i can give you a name all right ty domi ty domi is he is the official fullback of the nhl they they should make ty domi the logo for the nhl i think uh he was my favorite player to watch growing up he was like a a little wrecking ball he was like maurice jones drew on skates um he was he was so fun to watch he would fight against donald brashear all the time um, I remember at one point a fan fell into the penalty box and Domi just beat the shit oh, out of him. And, yeah. and then, like he was, he was smiling. You'd never seen so, somebody so happy to get into a fight as, as Ty Domi <laughs> was at that point. Uh, yeah. It's not Mike Green. Mike Green would be the antithesis of a right. fullback. It's a big word, but I think he's that like a cornerback, I would say. He's right. a, Mike Green is a cornerback that gets an unnecessary celebration penalty after the quarterback overthrows a receiver by 10 yards when he was wide open. Josh Norman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Pretty much. I mean, so you said Ty Domi is the fullback, but what about current players? Is there a fullback of the NHL currently? Hmm. I hadn't given that much thought. Uh current fullback in the NHL. I mean, you can make the argument that that Tom Wilson, but he, again, he scores too much. He's too much. Yeah, he scores too much. Right now. And um, I mean, fullbacks are I mean, I was kind of thinking like almost like a Brooks or pick or like, I mean, well, he's not actually, he's not in the NHL anymore either. So I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Right. Yeah. So that, that's kind of where my brain went to with Brooks or pick because he was not a fast man. <laughs> he, was, right. he was so funny. It was so funny to watch him skate. Cause you're like, this guy is a professional hockey player, but he kind of always found himself in the right place at the right time. He was good at doing some dirty stuff and get, getting away with it, you know, knowing where that line was. So yeah, Brooks or pick Jay Beagle. Yeah. He's, yeah, Jay I'd Beagle. say Jay Beagle. Jay Beagle's Jay my Beagle. answer. Let's do it. I miss yeah. him. I miss him a lot. <laughs> All right, I got one here for you. A few years back, I read an article um, on Rush Machine Never Breaks about you kind of having they're, – they're kind of questioning your fandom with the Capitals and asking if the fans think that you jinxed the Capitals or cursed the Capitals in 2017. Uh, the Stanley Cup visited, I think, the Barstool office, and you might have 
might have or might have not stuck a sticker on there. Is there anything you'd like to say to the haters of that article and the comment section? Uh, I didn't read the comment section, but I respect their rights as internet commenters to voice their opinions. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm out here fighting like for. That? I think, yeah, isn't, isn't that what Patrick Henry said? Like, I may disagree with what you comment, but I respect your right to give it a thumbs up, something like exactly. that. Exactly. So I think, um, you know, they, they can say what they want. I might have jinxed them, but I was also trying to send a message that I don't believe in. You can't jinx Washington sports any more than it had been no. jinxed already. No. Like, that, if anything, I was putting the jinx, the jinx in double jeopardy yeah. by jinxing it so hard. Like, like there's, we're not going to. Yeah, exactly. It's a double jinx. So it ended up working out a year later than I would have liked it to. But um, no, I mean, I, they, they can question my fandom and I'll be honest, I'm not like a hockey expert. I, I don't watch every single game. I watch as many as I can. Uh, but I, uh, I, I grew up rooting for the Wizards and the Capitals and the Redskins. And, and, you know, I've been going to games since I was a little kid. So if that doesn't make me a fan, then I don't know what. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, are the curse is over for the Capitals? You think, think they're done? I, I think as a city as a whole, they should be. Hopefully. Yeah, it's Titletown. You got yeah. you got the Mystics. You got uh who who's the tennis team that everyone that, always talks about? Uh, uh the, the is it the Spirit? No the Castles, maybe? Well the, Val- the Valor one in sixteen, seventeen, something like that. That's, yeah. You got the Valor, the Castles, the Mystics, the Nationals, and the Caps. So it's Titletown in DC yeah. right now. Some I think say, if, you, if you want in what? I said I was gonna say some say the defenders were well on their way to one, but well, they did. They won the XFL East. True, valid. And Before. they would have played in the in the in the Super Bowl or whatever the XFL. So um, I think that I think you have to wait another like ten years after your last title for a new jinx to start over. Because if if the Capitals just start losing heartbreaking games in the playoffs again, you could make an argument that this jinx is an extension of the old jinx. And 2018 was just an aberration. But, um, yeah, listen, I, I have no problem in taking jinxes on head on. So if there's a new jinx that rolls around, I'll take that one out too. I don't give a shit. Well, thank you for your service. No problem. Yeah. No problem. So if you had to think of maybe one or two caps that either from earlier years when you first started watching or the, these past recent years that just couldn't get the job done, any caps that you think you would have liked to seen raise that cup in 2018? Uh, Bonsai. Bonsai, yeah. Yeah, he would be great. Um, Jim Carrey. Oli, actually, Oli the goalie. Oli, yeah. Olaf Kolzig. Would have been great to see him. He he gave a lot to the city. Uh, there was, let's see. we wasn't Barube. Barube was on the caps at the same time as uh, Chris Simon. We had two yeah. First Nations players yep. at the same time playing together. Uh, I think on the same line, even. That would have been cool to see them win together. Uh yeah, those those are the big ones for me. Yeah, we asked I Joe B the other night. He said like Joe Ward, books like kind of kind of recent guys, Chimmer, stuff like that. Yeah, that, like Joe Ward would have been cool. Yeah, that, yeah. like 2010 to 2014, like all those guys he mentioned, like Troy Brower mm-hmm. and all that. But I was more thinking like yeah, books like uh, almost even Peter Bondra. I mean, I loved Bondra growing up. I mean, would have been nice to see him. And, and then you nailed Ole. I mean, those are the guys yeah. that I was looking for. Bondra, Bondra is the one guy that, that would come to mind because he, you know, he got the franchise through some shitty, shitty years back in the 90s yeah. and some, yeah. some heartbreak. So yeah. I would like to see him and, and maybe even Semin just because Semin was on so many of those teams that were dominant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And things kind of fell apart there at the end. But uh, he, he put a lot of work in the franchise too. For sure. So speaking of – Yeah. Go ahead, Dylan. 
I was going to say, speaking of shitty stuff. Yesterday, that uh, Simmons was a <laughs> better player, talented, than Alex Ovechkin, yeah. which, was, which is pretty cool to hear. That from his that, standpoint, he, he thought Simmons was better talented than Ovechkin, even though their careers were totally different. That's, that is a wild take. That take is so crazy, I, I can't help but respect it. They said more talented uh, than Ovi. So, yeah, we were speaking of shit. Um, we're not – desperate times don't really call for desperate measures, as they did when you inhaled the horse shit. But, I mean, if somebody were to uh-huh. tell you that, the NHL would come back this year 100% and the Caps would win that Stanley Cup, but you had to eat the shit again. Would you go for it? Hypothetically, if somebody were to ask me that, then yeah. I would say yes. I, let it be known that I'm not tying myself down to an answer by saying it right here. But hypothetically, I would say something like that if that question were to be posed. All right. Um, if Dan Snyder owned the Washington Capitals, how would that franchise look? And would the game day experience be worse than FedEx Field is now? That's a good question. Um, the ice would be a lot shittier. We'd have the worst ice in the league by far um he probably he probably just wouldn't even like switch out some of the hardwood floors when they yeah. change it from Wizards games. <laughs> just, like, leave it. just half half wood out there um the game day experience would be a lot worse i don't think that uh there he'd have to install some cement pillars so that he could True. make people sit behind them that's a big thing that he has he loves that uh the he'd probably have to move the team to like annapolis like get it way outside the beltway far away from any train um and so they play in annapolis and then they do training camp and have their practice facility in like great falls on eastern shore they, yeah. they, yeah, they move yeah, them back go. to piney orchard where they used to practice there you go. we're gonna practice in, in chincoteague uh this summer <laughs> and uh then we're gonna have our games up in annapolis just up was it route five or whatever yeah, yeah something like that yeah all right, so building off Kyle's question, actually, we already said uh, – we already mentioned the R words a little bit, Dan Snyder. Uh, I guess it leads back to my question before. Are they cursed still because Dan Snyder is still around? Yeah. And kind of how yeah. long do you think until we're back in that prime skins era? See, I love throwing out the, the term curse. I'm a big believer in curses. But at some point you have to wonder where the line kind of blurs between – a curse and just really shitty overall management and personalities. And I think that Dan Snyder is more in that like Dan Snyder would kill somebody if it was an, to just to prove that it was a curse on the franchise and not his own incompetence. Yeah. But if you look at anything that he's done in the past, he's, you know, uh, Johnny rockets, burgers, six flags went bankrupt underneath him. I think he like got fined $50 million for defrauding people by switching their long distant service over if dan snyder isn't able to commit fraud then he's not able to actually get a winning product so he hasn't been able to figure out a way to defraud the nfl yet and until he does i don't think that there's going to be any chance of the redskins putting together like long-term success i'm still hopeful mind you that in this next like four-year window maybe we'll get to the playoffs twice maybe we'll get to an nfc championship game uh but then after four years i get the feeling like ron rivera you know it's it Snyder's act is going to wear thin eventually on him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Switching to the XFL, got two questions here for you. If you got into a game and got a chance to kick a 35-yard field goal, would you definitely make it? And then my second question is, if the XFL season went for the full season, do you think the fans of the D.C. Defenders could have got a cup snake entirely around the whole stadium? 
Uh, the answer to the first question is yes. I, I could absolutely make it. I've extended my range to 46 yards right now, okay. um, which is kind of a show-off move, actually, now that yeah. I think about it. It's like Tom Wilson scoring too many goals. Um, I might need to just dial it back in and focus on 35. I, I'm probably like 92% from 35 yards, I would say. Okay. Um, granted, I haven't kicked in a game in 18 years, but that's fine. That's here nor there. Uh, the second question was about the cup snake. Yeah, I think it could have gotten – it was starting to build momentum. Like yeah, the cup snake right. was becoming a thing. It was, it was becoming a tradition at uh, Audi Field. So I think by like week six or seven, you probably could have gotten all the way around the stadium. And I don't know if I've reported this anymore, but um, I was actually going to be called up. Week nine, right? Ooh, or whatever it was. Rivalry week against the Guardians here in New York. They were going to bring me on the team, and I was going to, at the very least, get a kickoff and probably get an attempt at a field goal because we would have been beating the Guardians by like 40 points again. So I probably would have gotten a garbage time attempt. And um, unfortunately, due to this fucking bat virus, uh, I'm not able to do that. Hypothetically speaking, again, um, if you get in that game, you make a field goal, and the defenders go on, win the fucking championship, do you get a ring? I think I should get a ring anyways, yeah, because we did yeah. win, we did the, win the work. XFL East. Yeah, I was, I was on the roster for a day in training camp. So, yeah, I think I, I think I can make a claim to that. I mean, if you see baseball teams giving rings to players that you know retired two years before they won the World Series, I feel like I should get a consideration for – I'll make my own ring. That's probably what I'll do. <laughs> Don't hate that. I mean, we, uh, I mean, they kind of made these cup snakes. I mean, they didn't make the cup snakes famous, but they just kept it going since I think that where it started, like Wrigley. Wrigley. But, I mean, cup snakes, they've been ancient. around forever. Yeah. 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 Cup snakes have been going on for a long, long I, time. They, Usually. Right. Go ahead. They, they like confiscated the cup snakes and Wrigley. Uh, that, I, that's I what made that. it famous, I think. Well, yeah. So popular. cups. Cup snakes were traditionally limited to um, like one middle-aged dude who would show up on like commemorative cup day or whatever, and then just go around the stadium afterwards and make his own cup snake and walk out of the stadium with like 50 of them over the shoulder. That's a big time dad move. Uh, But they became more of a thing. I want to say in like the mid two thousands and yeah, the Cubs made it famous by banning cup snakes for some reason, which only made people want to do it more. Right. I mean, uh, DC defenders, like the the crowd started doing it all the time. I said, change the name to the DC Cup Snakes. I mean, that's kind of a badass name. The Cup Snakes is a great name. Absolutely. Like the next time Vince McMahon does the XFL, they should be called the DC Cup Snakes for sure. And I think it would have gone all around the stadium. And that's actually what I really liked about the XFL is it didn't take itself super seriously. Right. I think, you know, the product on the field was entertaining. And yeah, they didn't have, the players weren't as good, obviously, as NFL players. But it was a, it was a fun brand of football and they were obviously like having fun with it so i'm actually upset that the xfl is gone yeah interviewing players like mid-play basically yeah. it's like oh through a pick how'd that feel well uh, so the big names made it cool too i mean our quarterback was cardell jones we had two ohio state quarterbacks in dc it's like fucking <laughs> cardell jones asses playing qb in dc yeah. with Dwayne haskins but on separate teams they should have mic'd up the doctors, like the, the medical trainers, and sent them on the field and, and figured that shit out. Uh, yeah, there, there were a few things about the XFL. I think the NFL is probably going to steal this time. That's kind of what they do. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, RIP XFL. At, press F in the chat for the XFL. F-F-F-F-F-F-F, yep. All right, so moving on to um, – we actually – we big fans of Grit Week, all of us are, obviously. Um, with this coronavirus going around, have you guys put any thought into Grit Week? Um, 
I mean, cause usually you you guys are going to a certain location. I mean, if we're still in quarantine, like do, do you guys have a plan of just, are you staying put in like the comfort of your own homes or you still going to try to travel somewhere? That's a good question. So thank you. Grit week has been a, a mainstay of part of my take for four years. Ever since yep. we started, we like to get out on the road, hit the RV. Um, this year we're not going to be able to do it. And even if we were able, even if like there were no travel restrictions or no, you know, out in public restrictions, I don't think that NFL teams and college programs right. would, you know, they, they're valuing their time with their players right now since there's not going to be a lot of it. So I don't think that they'd be as eager to just like open up the door and, and let us interview everybody. So right. um, I w- we could do some sort of a Zoom grit week, but I feel like that that would just it takes be – It takes the grit out of it. Yeah. It takes – it takes well, it also adds some grit to it. It's like real low budget. Maybe we could just True. straight up interview <laughs> – we could interview like equipment managers and stuff from from various teams and keep it we like live real. in Vanny Woodhead. <laughs> yeah, Vanny Woodhead is still parked up in Yonkers right now. I don't think it runs, but um, that's probably just like a spark plug issue, and I'm not much of a, a, a gearhead. But I think that what we'll do is probably try to tie it into like the summer training camp tour that we've done over the right. last couple of years, and we'll see if we can uh, we can get in interview some people that way. But I I'm already like I'm pre missing Grit Week. Have, have things kind of gotten tougher for you guys or maybe easier in a way trying to like get, get content, do interviews and just keeping the PMT flow going? Things have gotten, yeah, I don't want to say they've gotten tougher because right. we, we do have a lot of people that are, you know, they want to be guests on the show to promote whatever they're coming out with, but it's always tough like interviewing somebody for the first time over zoom and you don't necessarily like have the same, you're not able to make the same type of, jokes to them or interact with them the same way as if they're face to face with you in the studio because you lose a lot of that like body language and all that stuff um we've kind of we've mitigated that a little bit by going into the studio on tuesdays and thursdays and recording from a safe distance with each other um and i think we're the only people that the rest of us hang out with so we're we've we're still kind of in our own quarantine circle Right. When I go in, I play ping pong against Hank. It's like, yeah, Hank's been at home this whole time. I've been at home this whole time. So right. we're able to get some more face-to-face stuff. But it is, it's, it's more difficult. You can't do as much like spur-of-the-moment stuff, obviously, if you're all in different houses. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of, don't you have a big ping pong match tonight against Hank? I do, yeah. I'm taking him on at 6 o'clock tonight. And uh, what Hank isn't reporting, Hank controls the narrative because he controls – you know, the part of my take Twitter account, he controls all the gifts, all that stuff. Yep. I beat him on Tuesday night. I just beat the shit out of him in ping pong. Uh, I think three games in a row. And so he's not Are reporting you- that, but the smart money is on me tonight. Okay. So were, were you sandbagging him the first couple of uh, games? Or was Yeah, it- I was, but then my paddle is broken. So now that <laughs> like I sandbagged myself into actually being bad at ping pong. Oh, uh, okay. I see. Yeah. Um, all right, so my last question here is, I guess, who's your current white whale for an interview? I mean, would it be like Aaron Rodgers or uh, – I mean, you did have Michael Jordan on for a phone, through a phone call. Um, yeah. MJ. Um, who would, who's your white whale? That's a good question. I think that we're going to go – I'm going to say Roger Goodell, even though I think Hank and Big Cat might disagree with me. I would love to interview Roger Goodell because no matter which way it went, it would be – very entertaining for me to like make fun of Roger Goodell to his face and just kind of see how he takes that. And um, at the very least, 
I think that it would be funny. I don't know if we get a lot of good answers out of Roger Goodell because he is a robot. He, I don't think that he has human emotions. I think he's just like programmed by the owners for what to say. And he's very good at doing that. And if you paid me $40 million a year, I'd probably be the world's biggest dick bag for you if you wanted me to. So um, Aaron Rodgers would obviously be another good one. Um, yeah. I think at this point in his career, Aaron Rodgers is ready to like unload on the Packers. He probably wants to burn down the entire city of Lambeau or yeah, the entire city of Green Bear. Bay. That's what I was saying. I mean, if I was Aaron Rodgers, I would, I would try to get – signed by a team in the division just to pull a Brett Favre. It's funny. Like his, (laughs) his career has been a lot more like Brett Favre's than, uh, than he would probably want you to believe with the exception of all the interceptions, because Aaron Rodgers, when, when he thinks he's going to throw an interception, he just throws the ball out of bounds. He doesn't take those chances, but um, yeah, yeah, I think he'd be a really good one. I would love to interview Pete Carroll. I'd like to interview Belichick and I would like to interview um, I'd like to interview LeBron too. I think that'd be really that interesting. Be... He'll never in a million years would he ever do it because right. if you if you just Googled LeBron James Barstool Sports, I think the first two pages are just Dave <laughs> Dave's articles saying like just LeBron James should be thrown into a volcano. Like the LeBron pizza, James the pizza is the worst father. Yeah, yeah. review. Oh, well, yeah. what about if you had? Would you do Dan Snyder? Ooh. Yeah, I would interview Dan Snyder. I would. That would be an interesting one because that's where you'd see like a little bit of Emotions. the years, the years of uh, of all the shit that he's put me through, right? Can come to the surface, and it might I might actually come across more mean than I would like to in that interview, just because <laughs> he's he's hurt me so much over the years. Right. So say, some, of those, some of those names that you mentioned there, I feel like Big Cat wouldn't be able to like go through them. Like if you interviewed interviewed LeBron, he he would just get in a MJ versus LeBron debate to with LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> the entire time he he probably would but that would also be great that would oh, that'd be, be great like, that'd be very funny um i don't know lebron he is you know he's got some things that are pretty ridiculous about his personality but he's also a great basketball player mm-hmm. and i think that one thing about lebron is he uh he's very aware of the fact that people are always paying attention to everything that he says yep and so he comes across as not being a genuine person a lot because he's already operating from a standpoint of, oh, if I tweet this out, I'm going to get this reaction from this person, that person, and that person. And I think that what we've been able to do at times on part of my take is like kind of cut through some of that bullshit and have a real conversation with people that you didn't think had real personalities. Right. right. And with LeBron James, the chance that that could happen with him, if that, if we were able to like talk to him on a person to person level, I think it could be a really, really good interview. But um, mm-hmm. again, I don't think that, in a million years, he would ever agree to it after just doing that Google search. Yeah. So, so we'll probably uh, file a restraining. Yeah, that's a good chance. Actually, if you ever go. <laughs> so we'll wrap it up here with a couple quick ones. Um, we mentioned it before the show or before the interview here. Uh, Leroy officially retired from NHL scoops. Uh, what's next on his plate? Yeah, so he retired from the NFL. He's no longer breaking NFL news. And um, I was thinking that he would either be like a, a breaking news judge. I addressed that in part of my take where he could just kind of decide who broke which story based on if, you know, rap sheet beat Schefter by four seconds on Twitter to it or whatever, or he could just move on to another sport and piss off a whole different sports worth of insiders. So he could be an NFL or he could go from NFL to NCAA football. He could compete with John Rothstein. That would actually be, that would be funny (laughs) to see John Rothstein like get mad about a dog (laughs) because he would. And I like John, but he would, he would, 
absolutely get mad about Leroy and then we'd have to come up with all these new catchphrases for um so instead of this is March, Leroy yeah. would say it is March. Right. Um, tougher than an in law or tougher than a weekend at your in laws for my mountaineers, you do something like uh yeah, uh, VCU basketball, more life-changing than uh, a weekend at John Rothstein's house. <laughs> Just directly address him. I don't know. We'll have to think that through. But Leroy, we'll figure something out for him to do. I just think that he might be out of the breaking news game for a little bit because that's, right. that's a cutthroat industry, man. And that, that last one was fucking – that was it right there. <laughs> that was the highest of highs. We also saw what happened to Stephen Shea this weekend. When uh, or, or during the NFL draft, I mean, he got one pick wrong because his source is wrong, and everyone started roasting him. So I mean, yeah. we don't want that happen to Leroy. We don't. We want Leroy to retire with um, like his forty percent hit rate on breaking news stories <laughs> intact. Right. So uh, right. yeah, it's funny. You'll get burned by sources out there. There were a lot of people that would try to be like try to make a dog tweet out a fake news story, and you have to have your antennas up all the time and be like, okay, this guy is just trying to fake Leroy out. Like yeah. trying to do the old tennis ball trick where you throw it to a right. dog and you hide it back. Leroy's too smart for that. Right. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, if you had to pick one player in their prime between Biz or Wit to put on the caps, which one would it be? Ooh. That's it. Or who would be more of a liability? That is, yeah. that is tough. I'm going to say <laughs> R.A. I, I would like to <laughs> there you go. put R.A. Uh, up there playing the organ. Um, probably <laughs> – Probably Biz. I think I'd probably want Biz on the team just because, like, he's he's more of a wild card where he could be out there chucking some nucks. Whitney, I don't know. Tape to tape Whitney, passes. Whitney is tape to tape guy, but I think it's you know what it is more from a physical standpoint. He does remind me too much of Mike Green. Physically, they yeah. are kind of like the same player. And I I was so I was the biggest Mike Green stand in the world. I would defend him. Uh huh. Um, and you know, after like eight times in the playoffs where we got we happened to get beat by the hot goalie that's the one thing that it took me a while to figure this out but maybe if you always run into the goalie that's standing on their head maybe it's because you're just taking shots from you know the red line maybe that yeah, has something yeah. to do or just shooting and that was my, yeah mike green that was his special he just like take a slap shot from 50 feet out um and so i liked him for a while but yeah whitney reminds him reminds me too much of mike green so i'm gonna go with biz on that one and so, the other thing is whitney he he likes Sidney Crosby too much. I mean, whenever we would play the Pens, he would just be like, "No, nah, I can't play this game." Yeah, like, I mean, he just he's just always talking about how Sidney got his got him his money, which mm-hmm. fair enough he did, but you can't have that on the Caps. That's true. Yeah. Also, he's like Sidney Crosby right now is like a Manning in the NFL. You have to like kiss Sidney Crosby's ring if you want access to other superstars because Sid controls right. the narrative out there uh, league wide. So you have to be nice to him so you can get other interviews. Sure. So last one here. We appreciate your time, PFT. It's been it's been fucking great, man. But um, yeah, last one. So say we'll finish it with the Caps related one here. Uh, so say Caps PR. They give you a call tomorrow and they're like pick one guy, any guy from the team right now, and they'll come on, tell anything, they'll answer every question. Which guy are you picking? I think. I mean, Ovi would be. He'd be great. The language barrier might be an issue though. Yeah. So uh, probably Holpe. Because I'd want to ask him, yeah, I'd say, Hopi, explain to me how your neck beard can connect to your back. Like, <laughs> Hopi body hair, it all connects. It's like he stepped into a fur suit. Like, there's not 
you can trace a line around his body and not pick up your pen a single time and just connect the dots on, on all his, uh, all his body hair. And as a guy that struggles growing facial hair, I'd want to know his secrets about that. For sure. So there it is. I was thinking, yeah, OV TJ would be good, but, uh, PFT, man, we appreciate it. Like we said, we appreciate you coming on. It's, uh, Great talking to you. We'll get you one of these jerseys out to you, a couple shirts. And um, next time you're in D.C., let us know when sports are back and uh, we'll try to catch a Cavs game or something. I love it. Sounds good. I'll let you guys know when I'm in Tuttletown. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Have a good one. All right. Thanks, PFT. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks, man. guys. All right, guys. We now welcome on ESPN Sportscaster, co-host of SportsCenter, play-by-play guy for the NCAA Hockey Championships and creator of the great Bucci OT Challenge, John Bucci Gross. Bucci Man, welcome to the pod. How you doing? Peace. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so kind of let's just start here because you're known as the hockey guy pretty much at ESPNU and Melrose, but I don't think a lot of people really know where it all started. So when, when did hockey start for you? When did you fall in love with the game? I mean, did you play growing up outside of Pittsburgh? Or Yeah, my dad was born, in, uh, born and raised in South Boston, Massachusetts, uh, kind of like the goodwill hunting character. Uh, he was really good at math, um, but he didn't swear. That's the only difference. My dad, my dad was one of those dads who never swore, but he was tough. He was in the army. He was blue collar, born during the depression, played hockey in high school with no mask, uh, just a good all around athlete, very competitive, love sports. Um, if he was a crack dealer, I would have grown up a crack dealer. Whatever my dad was, I was going to be. I was always at his hip pocket. And um, he, uh, you know, he loved all sports, and in the early 70s, and I would have been, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, the Boston Bruins were the biggest thing in Boston with Bobby Orr at the helm. And so that was just a big magnetic thing for him. I absorbed that, especially through radio, because um, we lived in Pennsylvania, as you mentioned, but you could, back then you could get radio stations all over the country as clear as a bell from St. Louis to Boston. And uh, so we listened to Bruins games on the radio crystal clearly. And uh, he, would leave, he would leave meticulous statistics. He was a, he's a very organized guy. And uh, so, yeah, I just kind of grew up the game on the radio. When you grow up the game with the radio, you invent the game in your mind. Uh, you, kind of, uh, you kind of, you know, picture it and invent it. And to me, it was this big gothic My Chemical Romance video where it was just blood and these old arenas with an organ playing and it was like church. My, my parents were also very Catholic. So we grew up, we went to stations of the cross every holy day of obligation. I was an altar boy. And so to me, hockey and church were a lot of life. There's a lot of blood, a lot of organs, these big churches, church like uh, backgrounds. And so it, it left an, a real visceral image in my brain. And so it really stuck. Again, I loved all sports. Whatever season it was, I followed the clock. I was one of those rare American kids who uh, also added hockey to the basketball, baseball, football menu. So I was just kind of an aberration because of my dad, because where he grew up, because of the Bruins were so popular. The Bruins sucked in the early 70s. Maybe hockey wouldn't have made as, uh, as an impression on me. So I played certainly street hockey, skating on the pond. I could, I could always skate because my dad took us, obviously, skating. There was never any organized hockey where I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. There is now, but there wasn't when I grew up. So yeah. I had to go on ponds, street hockey, play in the living room with a mini, actually didn't even have mini sticks when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you, you know, you play between the legs of a, of a love seat or whatever. And so it was, uh, it was pretty real. And I, I took everything really seriously and, and paid attention to everything pretty seriously at a young age. 
So was the Bruins game the first NHL game you ever went to? Well, we would go to Pittsburgh once or twice or three, four times a year to see Penguins games. Uh, sometimes it was the Bruins, but not always. But certainly when the Bruins came to town, my dad would take me one hour drive to Pittsburgh to go see the Bruins and see them in real person. He also used to take me to minor league hockey games in Johnstown. Oh, yeah. Where they, were, uh, where they got the inspiration for Slapshot, the Johnstown Jets. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing bench-clearing brawls. With, I'll never forget this one dude. He looked like he was 70 years old as I look back. Because back then, guys who were 40 looked like they were 70 today. It's yeah. just it's a different time. And I just remember him being on top of this guy, just drilling him, just feeding him with these uh, punches. And again, like, I'm seven years old. I think it was a, my, my brother was in the Boy Scouts. Um, I wasn't always big on groups and organized things. So I, I, I kind of did the Boy Scouts thing without being in the Boy Scouts because I think my mom was a den mother. It was like a field trip. So we went there and there was a bench clearing brawl to, uh, to give the youth of America a nice role <laughs> model afternoon. So yeah. Um, and whatever, whenever game was on TV, I would watch. And so, yeah, like I said, it was, uh, it was just, you know, a sports fanatic. My dad was a sports fanatic. And so, uh, I, I absorbed it and consumed it like he did. Yeah. And you've been consuming it obviously to an insane amount the past couple of years. I mean, for uh, obviously with your career too. So let's kind of start, I mean, where this season ended, we'll start with college hockey. Who were kind of some of the teams that you thought were going to make that Final Four trip or the Frozen Four, I should say. I believe it was in Michigan this year in Detroit. I yeah. mean, a lot of good teams. You had some sleepers like Penn State that was making a huge push. That the team that's never been one of those. I mean, what were your thoughts? Who were some teams that you saw maybe winning the championship? Yeah, you know, it looked like North Dakota and Cornell with a big two. Um, obviously, North Dakota, great traditional power. Cornell has a 1-1 in a long time. That would have been cool if they would have got to the Frozen Four. They have a lot of rich alumni. So they probably would have flown to the game in their private jet. To right. The uh, I always root for a good Frozen Four that could, you know, create the most buzz. I would like to see an Ohio State there. They would have been a slight – not sitting there. They've been a top-10 team all year. But, you know, people would have driven up from Columbus to, you know, to Detroit and on a long drive. Um, you always root for a Michigan team to get there. The Wolverines were coming a little bit. Um, Minnesota State's been a good regular season team the last few years. Haven't had great tournament, tournament success yet. So, uh, yeah, and you mentioned Penn State, um, you know, great program early in their, uh, in their creation. Next year, the Frozen Fours in Pittsburgh, where I did my first one in 2013. It'd be cool if they got there. That's, again, it's great for attendance, great for buzz. So, but they, they lost a lot of guys this year. You can see they've had seven or eight guys sign professional contracts. So this was the year for them. They had a lot of depth. Um, but they should recruit pretty well going forward. They have a great coach, and uh, it'd be cool to see them in Pittsburgh. That, that Pittsburgh one in 13, that was um, Yale and Quinnipiac, right? Yeah, Yale's first national championship. Right. And it would have been Quinnipiac's first, so we had a guaranteed first uh, champion. That was really cool. Like I said, I was born there. I was born about a driver in Threewood from the arena, so it was kind of cool for me to do my first. You know, again, a kid growing up an hour from there, listening to hockey games on the radio – I was four or five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, and then end up being able to call a national championship game there. Um, like I said, a, a few blocks from where I was born in Allegheny General Hospital. Um, it's just life's cool, man, and America is really cool. And right. so sometimes shit like that happens. <laughs> I, I remember sitting in the because uh, I was in West Virginia at the time. We drove up to Pittsburgh for that to get some college hockey, and I was like, "This is this is nuts." Oh, go ahead, Amy. I was going to say, do you see Arizona State ever uh, making a push here soon for the Final Four? I mean, I know they're a pretty new team in the NCAA, but I just I, I feel like they could recruit pretty well. I mean, 
Arizona State's a fun school to go to. A lot of hockey guys, would, I'm sure, would love to go there. And I just think they could recruit well and get good enough to go and make that push. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to, to bring a recruit there and, um, you know, to see the weather, the girls, yeah. um, just it's a great place, to, obviously, to recruit. It's an easy exactly. place to recruit. The uniforms, too. Yeah, we're awesome. Great colors. Um, great coach. And, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, not, they don't have a conference yet, which in some ways can work to their advantage. Right. Um, they can build up some pairwise points, um, you know, pretty well. We'll see at some point if they are able to get in a conference. Um, but, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a whole new world. It's not the, – the world isn't like it used to be. Anybody can be famous quickly because of technology. Yeah. Any school can recruit um, if they get the right guy and they get the right momentum and they get, get the right vibe. And um, they have the weather on their side as a recruiting tool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they don't have the greatest facilities in terms of a rink. And that, that, that can certainly um, be a big factor for a kid. But if they can work out and they can have a great place to, to get better and get stronger, that's the, that, that's the biggest thing for them. And it's kind of cool to play in those little, little rinks now. You know, there's a big home, home uh, rink advantage. You can really play, play. They play a really on-the-edge old school college hockey style, which I think also helps them because a lot of kids aren't prepared for that and they get rattled, especially there. So um, jumping to the NHL, kind of we were talking about the NCAA four teams. What are four teams from the NHL, two from the East, two from the West that you saw making a push for the Stanley Cup this year? Yeah, I I like how that question is framed. Um, I thought the big two in the East were Tampa and Boston. If I had a bet, I always say, what would you bet your paycheck on? You know, it's not, it's not a whole bunch of money, but it's one paycheck and we all need our paycheck to pay our rent. So like if I had to bet a paycheck on the East for two teams, I would, I would take Boston and Tampa. And, but certainly Pittsburgh and Washington were right there. You know, they're, they're like, you know, Washington's probably as there as Tampa and Boston. It's a part, right. so it might be even smarter to take Washington. Um, but Tampa was really coming they yeah. had a lot to play for because of how they were embarrassed last year getting swept by Columbus. The Bruins are just a real deep wagon of a team. They're coming, but Washington's right there. Pittsburgh's probably the only other team I could see. And, and Toronto. You'd have to give Toronto an outside chance. Everything worked perfect, perfectly for them. Right. And all those young kids went nuts, and they got great goaltending. Could have happened. Reasonable chance. But Boston, and, and I would go Boston and, and, uh, and Tampa, probably in the east and the west, I think St. Louis is still the favorite as to get back there again. Um, so I think still the best team from day one of the regular season, they were ready for the playoffs. Right. Um, they're, just, they're constructed for the playoffs. And that will probably go Vegas. You know, they've been so aggressive. They have a veteran goaltender. He might be starting to slip a little bit. Um, but I would probably still go Vegas because, you know, this are, when teams prepare and trade and, and, and make these trades – with the championship in mind, I think that actually feeds into the roster in a good way. And they're like, okay, and when those playoffs arrive, they're like, okay, we're ready. They built us for this. We have the parts for this. Now this is our time. And they almost feel entitled in a good way. And so that's probably why I would lean uh, towards Vegas as my other team in the West. Um, yeah, so my opinion on that, like Tampa Bay, I completely agree with. Uh, they were just – I mean, they had a slow start to the season, but then they just ramped it up. And I think this may have been their year. I mean, that they've been struggling. They've been right there every single season, it feels like. And I think this may have been the year they get there. Uh, the other team that was scaring me out of the East was uh, Philly. Uh, Philly was on fire at the end there. And I just – I thought they had – they were heating up at the right time. Um, and Washington, honestly, they 
I mean, they have the experience to get back to where they were beforehand, but they were rolling at a 500 clip since about the end of December, I think. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like Philly and Tampa would have been my two teams. And then, yeah, St. Louis and Vegas, I feel like they were – Vegas was eating up. St. Louis has always been rolling. And Colorado was right there too, I thought. Yeah, I mean, the Capitals might have been bored with the regular season because they know this is it for them. You know, hope he's gone. Right. Um, you know, they like, um, you know, they have some salary, like Tampa. This is it for Tampa. I mean, yep. they, they have salary cap Armageddon. They mm -hmm. have to make a lot of moves. So this is, so when you have that, like the Capitals, it's like, I think it's just, you go for absolute broke. And sometimes that can, that can, you know, play in your favor. But um, I agree. You have to, you have to pay attention to long-term trends. Um, and maybe it just, like you said, there was a bit of a malaise with the caps, but um, I still think they would have turned it on late and yeah. they would have figured out a way to be a fact. Like I said, it, I mean, but I, I, you know, I respect you. I, I just think the young goaltender with Philly could have yeah. been a factor in the playoffs. Yeah. But now if the playoffs are shorter um, and not a two month odyssey and now everyone's refreshed right. and healthy, then you could throw, maybe throw Philly back in the mix. So that kind of leads into the next question. If the season does return, there's been all these rumors tossed around. 2014 playoff, neutral sites, multiple with multiple teams. Uh, what do you think is the most entertaining way to go about these playoffs if they were to happen? And what's the most realistic? Um, yeah, I mean, they're always entertaining. So they probably – those two you – know, they probably those two quite, that two-part question probably falls hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's hard to imagine a playoff hockey with no fans, um, what that vibe is like. It's got to be weird. Yeah. Um, I mean, the UFC stuff, that's different because those guys started usually in, the, in small remote places. It's still a fight. I mean, there's a guy right in front of you fighting. Yeah. So that's, it doesn't really matter about the fans for them. Yeah. It's, you know, they're really – they're so focused because they don't want to get their face smashed in. But you know, hockey just really – really you know, relies on that. The emotional sports rely on that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the big mystery. Could it be entertaining? Will it be, will it be uh, theatrical? Will it have drama in an empty arena? And that's the big question. We just don't know. And uh, this is just such new ground. It's hard to forecast what it looks like, what it would feel like, would it feel legitimate, well, um, I mean, just imagine if they bring the cup out and no one's in the arena. I mean, right, that's yeah. kind of like – I can't – That's it's implausible to even think about that. Yeah, like last year, St. Louis has the yeah. fireworks behind them and then right. they do fireworks and no one in there. It's like, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, and it's cool when you're on the road in front of all the fans who want you to lose. Like, that's a cool right. vibe. It's almost cool to win it on the road. It's They're two totally different feelings, and they're both great, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but it, it's 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 kind of neat to win it on the road uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah. You do the lap with the cup, and there's just nobody in the arena. You're like, yeah, yeah right. everybody's just skating around. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, hopefully by that point, you bring in some family members. You know, maybe even you go every four seats, every third row. You can do something, right, right to make it work. Uh, so, kind of switching gears here a little bit. Um, a lot of the time on Twitter, Ov scores a goal. You have that Ov Gretzky <laughs> countdown to catch Gretzky. Basically, uh, talk a little bit about that. Uh, what you see? Ha I mean, you've posted a million times what you see happening there, but obviously this kind of slows down things and makes things unpredictable. What do you see happening here? Yeah, you know, it, he came to film his this is Sports Center commercial, 
or Sergey uh, with uh, with Varlamov. Right. Uh, yeah. What's Ver What's his first name? Simeon or Simeon, Simeon Varlamov. Yeah, but they were Russian spies or whatever. Russian spies. So he, while he was there, I said, "This is my chance, maybe, to interview him." Because at that point, I started writing a hockey column on ESPN.com in 2001, mm. and did that for about 15, 16 years. Probably one of my one of my career is all said and done that'll be one of my favorite things I did because it was all mine mm -hmm. I could do whatever I wanted every week and so while he was there filming that commercial which was 2010 9 or 10 he's a young guy he's like 24 yeah it just kind of dawned on me that you know he's off to a start and uh, we're and then you know I'm very I'm, like I said I've, I've always been observant since I was been a little kid I see he's a big powerful guy he's got a big ass He's got a great shot, and yep. those and great slap shots don't age. Like you're, you, you have a slap shot till you're 50 when yep. you got a slap shot. And I'm thinking, and so I, I, and I remember, I guarantee I'm the first person ever who asked him, "Could you break Wayne Gretzky's record?" Because he's 24. Right. Yeah, <laughs> thinking about it. So I this is my story, and everybody better cite their sources in the future. <laughs> and uh, so I asked him, and then and off that, and off, I mean, he was stunned. He didn't, he, I don't think he really, but he's just, a, he's really a cool guy. You know, just, I was really impressed with him that day, just seeing how he interacts with people and his manners and all kinds of stuff. He really grounded human. I, I, I like him a lot. And then, so at that point, I wrote this column kind of forecasting, taking into consideration, you know, as you age and uh, things can go down and also historical precedents. You know, when Brett Hall was this age, he scored this many goals. When, Bren, when Brendan Shanahan was this age, he scored this many goals. When Phil Esposito, I'm looking for guys in the slot, living in the slot with big shots like Hall. Esposito didn't have a really big shot, but he was a big guy. Mm -hmm. um, Shanahan, the same kind of type of player, right-handed shot, and like Hall and Ovechkin. So I kind of went through the years and said, you know, when he's 37, Brett Hall scored 37 goals. Why can't he? You know, yeah. Brendan Shanahan at age 36 scored this many goals. Why couldn't Ovechkin? He's got a better shot. He's, he's better than right. Shanahan. Um, Hall, he's probably about his equal. But he's a better athlete mm -hmm. than uh, Hall. You know, he's, he's uh, got a, his mom was a great basketball player. His dad was a great soccer player. He's got great genetics. Um, and so I just went through the year by year. And I, I didn't even add it up. I just went through a little bit of attrition, a little bit of a historical comparison, and played till 40, which at the time wasn't, again, still wasn't totally out, you know, unreasonable. And right. I got to a point where it was actually really high. It was well above Kretzky. So <laughs> I, I scaled it back. And like I said, it, it, so at this point in my mind, I'll be shocked if he doesn't break it. I'll, wow. be, more, I'll be more surprised if he doesn't score 1,000 goals than if he breaks Kretzky's record. I like to hear that. That's how I look at it. And for the people say this year, what about this year? How much – he had 11 games he lost. It cost him like five goals. Yeah. It cost him three weeks. <laughs> yeah, the only, thing that, the only thing that pisses us off about it is that he doesn't hit 50 again. We want to see that 50 burger. Yeah, we're, we're right. big 50 a year pod. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he lost – obviously, he lost the first lockout because he would have been a rookie. Mm -hmm. He would have played when he was 18. And so I gave him like 35 goals. He scored 50 his rookie year. But yeah. he was 19. So that's given 35 when he's 18. He was so good the second lockout year, the 48-game year. Yeah. He was so good. 30-plus goals. He wouldn't have had much more. So give him 10 more, say. Now he's got 45. And this year it might have cost him, like I said, six goals, maybe five. Yeah. So now you're talking like 50 goals. So 
I don't think it's – again, that's, that's a full season. But right. for him, and as he gets closer, and like I said, with his body and his commitment, he's got a kid now. He's going to want his kid to see him do well. Right. His kid yeah. is seven, eight, nine. In the old days, hockey players got married young at 20, 21, 22. Now they get married at 30, 31, 32, 33. So he's going to have that extra motivation because his kid doesn't remember him now. But when his kid becomes seven, eight, he'll be able to remember his dad playing hockey. Right. He's going to have extra motivation to go. Yeah. And, and that may continue till he's 43, 44. I mean, I mean, George Blanda played quarterback for the Raiders when he was 47. People talk about Tom Brady. George <laughs> Blanda did it in the 70s. He played quarterback when he was 47. Yep. So it's not like this is new. So, and I, like I said, I, and I take my Ovechkin projection only till 40. But he certainly could go like Yager and those guys. He, he'd go right. he'd more. Yeah, like I said, he, he might yeah. want to do that for his son. I assume he'll have more babies, one or two more. He, and he, he's going to want to play for, so those kids can remember him. Yeah. So between that, obviously, catastrophic injury is always a possibility than any other thing and um but i really i'll be shocked if he doesn't do it right? yeah i mean like you said he could he could have like a yager career plato 44 chelios plato 47 shit like that but yeah i think when it, when i really looked into it was when i think he tweeted like maybe like three or four years ago um he has to average like 34 goals until the age of 40 i was like that is very very doable very doable like i said like, yeah like you said and look, look at him now he's not and every time he has a year like this year it keeps lowering Right, exactly. Like, 32, 31. Yeah. And like I said, these guys, Hall, Shanahan, Esposito, they had like later in their – like 37, 36. They'll have a big year where everything goes right. And, right. The other thing, and the other thing is he's got Kuznetsov and Backstrom. He's playing with great yeah. players. Right. That's, that's important. That's luck. That's important too. It's like Patrice Bergeron is playing between Pasternak and Marshan. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's, those are top five wingers in the game. Now, Bergeron, I had him as like a borderline Hall of Famer when he was 30. Now he's a lock. Yeah, he definitely is now. And a lot of it is because he got fortunate to play between two guys who are awesome hockey players. Right, right. Yeah. So you cover the sport, I mean, at the highest level of sports media there is. And a lot of people have done the same throughout Obi's past. have obviously criticized him, talked a little bit of shit on his defensive play, this, that, and the other. Did you ever have those thoughts about him? Did you ever kind of think his that the defense was bad? I mean, we – Obviously, Milbury was never a fan of his, was really dragging his game a lot. But did you ever have some kind of some of those similar thoughts early in his career? No. I, I defended him from day one. That's um, our guy. <laughs> I, thought, I, I thought the Russian thing was um, just – I don't know what the term is. I don't want to use the incorrect term. But um, I, I, Canadians – and obviously, Milbury's an American. But Canadians would always go anti-Russian whenever they could. Yep. And, and like I said, I just don't have any, I don't have, luckily, I, I don't, it's not a, I don't, I'm not looking for a compliment, like in terms of, you know, nationalism or racism or it's just sexism. It's just not my, I just don't understand any of it. So, right. But again, that's just the way I'm born, thankfully. So it's not like it's an, an effort for me to feel that way. It's just, I don't get it. Um, I just, and I, I always made the comparison with Ovechkin. He actually reminded me of my son, Jack. And even Brett, my older son, they both played hockey since at a young age. I built a backyard rink in my yard here in Connecticut. Whenever somebody else scored, he's more excited when somebody else scores right. than when he scores. Yeah. Me, that, that says so much about a human, about a person, that he genuinely gets so excited when somebody else scores. And to me, once I saw that for the first time, 
he had, I was hopelessly devoted to Obi. It's like, that shows you you're a good person when you instinctively feel so happy when somebody else scores a goal, you know, because it's so hard to score. That's why players go nuts when they score. It's mm -hmm. difficult. It's a, like I said, I played every sport growing up, basketball, baseball, football, hockey, golf, tennis, and there's not a more frustrating sport than hockey. It's the most frustrating sport. You will commit misdemeanors and felonies because you're holding that stick and because of frustration more than any other sport. That's why when guys whack guys and slash guys and even say things, I give them all a pass. Yeah, wires, the wires have crossed, so that's it. Nothing, yeah, nothing turns you into a devil like hockey. It's yeah. just, that's just the way it is. And so for him to act that way, I just love it. So I just, I've always tried to defend Russians, defend him um, in, in every step of the way. We, we, we welcome all of Etchkin supporters uh, here, obviously. <laughs> so something kind of interesting is, you know, the book you wrote with Jonesy and about Jonesy uh, that came out back in 07. I'm kind of interested of how that all went down because I believe it was only in 06. It was a year prior you signed the book deal, and then you guys cranked it out, got it out uh, the year later, correct me if I'm wrong. But how does, how does that go down? Do you just kind of meet up with him and just guys have a couple bourbons and start spitting stories out and writing it down? or A little bit. Okay, so what happened was Keith Jones – and uh, which the book kind of spells out, had to retire early. Um, what happened was he tore his ACL trying to slew foot Eric Daze, which he's very open about. It was kind of his fault. He tries to slew foot Eric Daze in the playoffs, tears ACL. At that point, you have two options. You can either take a cadaver to fix your ACL, or you can, you can take the middle part of your patella tendon in your kneecap, use that to fix your ACL, and then your patella tendon grows back. It, it regenerates and grows back. His never grew back. So he's complaining about his knee. Doctors, you know, keep looking and say, your ACL is fine. He goes, there's something wrong. He's playing the NHL, and he can't jog across the street. Like, he literally cannot jog across the street to avoid cars. He's afraid he might die trying to cross because he can't run. But he yeah. can still play hockey because they can tape it up, and you can just glide, and you can figure it out. So anyway, so he has to retire, um, and he comes to work at ESPN to get in television. They always give the guys who interview well the first chance at television. Mm -hmm. But when you're interviewing after a game, you know, your shirt's off, endorphins are flying, you're just answering questions, it's different. You go to a TV, you've got a suit, you got makeup, lights are on, okay, be interesting in 15 seconds. Where kind of you can got to, you know, with, with interviews in a locker room, you kind of shoot the shit with the guys, and, and you just, you're comfortable. It's your atmosphere. And um, so he comes up with me to do an, to a game. So we do the preview, then we do in, in between periods, and then the post game. And he's terrible. He's like, he's like, we we do the pregame and, and we go to commercial, and he's like sweaty. And he goes, "Boy, this is a lot harder than I thought." <laughs> so I was like, "So in the meantime, but we were hanging out, we're going golfing, we're, we're like you said, we're, we're having a drink or two, and he's telling these amazing stories after a year or two." Because what happened was he left, kind of flamed out, went back to Philadelphia and did local stuff, local flyer stuff. Mm -hmm. Came back in the playoffs and he was great. Like, and, and that's the same. It kind of mirrors his NHL career, uh, where he wasn't like he always used to say he'd go home in the summer and all his buddies were better than he was at hockey. But he just kept showing up. He just kept showing up and showing up. Guys would get homesick and miss their girlfriend and miss their hometown, and they would quit eventually in juniors or minor leagues and go back. He just kept showing up and he made the NHL because all my friends were like 
lot of my friends were better than me. Um, so we kept, so like I said, he came back and he was really good. His suit looked better. He just, he got it. He he's one of those guys who understands, he figures things out and understands how things work. And, um, and so, but he, he, he told his great stories. And at some point I'm like, we really should write a book. I mean, you have all these great stories and I'm writing my columns. So I'm kind of in a writing mode. I figure I can just write each chapter like a, like a hockey column. And so, yeah, so we just got into that and he, and I kind of put all these stories down a couple he left out that I wish he would have kept in. Um, but yeah. And the big kicker for me was I didn't really want to write a book cause it's a lot of work, but what happened was my basement flooded. And I thought a lot of it was my back porch, backyard area kind of pitched towards the house. And I felt like, geez, that's, one reason why it might've happened if we could just pitch it back the other way. So I wanted to pay for a back patio that could kind of grade it and put a patio in and that might absorb some of the moisture. So that my basement never flooded. I probably never would, would have written that book. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Writing a book was hard. So the advance of the book paid for the little back patio. It wasn't a lot of money but enough to pay for the back patio. And that's why I wrote the book because my basement, I kept putting it off, but but uh, Jonesy was great. He's been on NBC for a long time. And mm -hmm. yeah, just a really cool story of a guy who didn't work out, ate pizza in the summer, played junior B, junior C, never played major junior, went to college hockey, again, just showed up and he ended up playing with Peter Forsberg and then playing with Eric Lindros. So, I mean, and now he's on NBC for the last, what, 15 years? It's he's like, doing a great job on the national broadcast. He's a great guy and just uh, – who knows? Maybe we'll work together again in the future. Right. So quick, quick fire question off of that. If you had the opportunity uh, to do the same book, the story of an NHL player's life, past or present, the history of the game, which guy would you choose? I, started talk, I talked with Chris Drury early on, you know, a while back about maybe doing one with him because he had a really interesting life with the Little League World Series. Won a national championship at BU, wins rookie of the year at, and with the Avalanche in the NHL, um, you know, wins the Stanley Cup. And now he's almost running the Rangers. He's just, he's just a really interesting guy. And uh, that didn't quite, you know, like I said, it just, it's hard to write a book and it's, and, um, but uh, it's, yeah, it's, I, at some point I'd like to write a, a, a book of all my favorite hockey columns that I look that I've written on ESPN for 15 years. Let me go back, maybe improve them a bit and then maybe write like a, a column looking back at that, what I was thinking about and update them kind of like a then and now kind of a right. thing. Yeah. That'd be really cool. Yeah. Something to leave my kids something to uh to kind of just a simple little book a bathroom book or whatever book just to kind of so i've been thinking about maybe doing that i probably should do that now yeah. now that things are slowing or we just go the go to the, go to the audio book route so you just got to talk the whole time and not to worry about writing anything yeah yeah because it's hard to write a book kp yeah so i believe it was like 2012 playoffs when uh the bucci ot challenge started was that just like a simple tweet you sent out really weren't thinking about it was there a plan behind it can you go through that yeah, none of my life is a plan. Um, you know, back at NHL Tonight, when ESPN had hockey, I got hired in 96. I got the NHL Tonight job in the fall of 98 and had that till 2004. Um, and that was a big deal. You know, before the internet video was any good, you had to watch NHL Tonight to see hockey highlights. And, and uh, so it was, uh, it was a kind of an appointment viewing to see. And I, I didn't realize how many people watched. I just, like I said, when I started doing the show, I just like, I feel like I'm in a, closet at one in the morning doing these hockey highlights and I go to the all-star game in Tampa Bay and it just looks like everybody's looking at me like what? <laughs> everybody looking at Mike Madonna is like and like all these players and 
and media, like, why are they looking at me? And the people started to say, hey, I love the show. I love the show. And it didn't dawn on me, people, anybody was watching. Like, I, I'm kind of oblivious. I'm kind of, a, I'm kind of dumb that way. I don't understand. I can't, I see little things. I don't see big things. Right. So was, I couldn't believe people actually watched and they really liked it. And that was really cool. But, you know, when, they, when our show would go to the playoffs, we would follow a game, a playoff game. And when it went to overtime, we don't know how long it's going to end. We had a yeah. Penguin Flyer, what, five overtime game once? Mm-hmm. And uh, luckily it was a 7 o'clock game. But we, we, me, Melrose, and Ferraro would throw a dollar on the set and pick one guy in each team. And if your guy happened to score, we would take the other two bucks, put it in our pocket, and start the show. And yeah. If someone scored nobody had, we would put the ball, our, our dollar back and start the show. And, yeah, back like in 2012, I just figured – I was in the parking lot. I'd see the Bruins game. And uh, against the Canadians, I was up, I, I drove up to Boston. I don't, I don't live very far from Boston. And I figured, I'll just throw this out there. I call it the Bucci Overtime Challenge. It's kind of a dumb name. It was kind of a very literal name. It probably, if I ever had a focus group, I probably wouldn't pick that name. <laughs> but I just, I, I guess I just threw it out there as a lark. And I, and I was surprised. How, and I just, I would retweet 10 people. Because retweeting was big currency back yeah. then. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I would just, I'd retweet 10 people. And I just couldn't believe it. the more I did it, the more I couldn't believe all these people were, you know, were, were playing, so to speak. And then towards, toward the end of that first year, I go, maybe I'll make T-shirts next year. And I'll give, them, I'll give like 10 away to winners. And then I'll also give you a chance to buy them. And I'll give the money away to, hockey, to a hockey charity of some sort. So I bought 1,000 T-shirts. I was really nervous. It was like six bucks a piece. You know, small, medium, large, extra large, double XL. Cost me like 5,000. I'm like, am I going to sell these T-shirts? Crap. So I give away 10, and, and like I said, and people start sending me money in the mail and envelopes. Like, I don't have a they website do. or anything. They're just you sending probably, me money. You them in 10 minutes. Yeah, please. And, and then eventually I got a GoDaddy website, and then I got a Shopify now, and I give it away a quarter million dollars because of this silly game and because of college hockey. And uh, so, yeah, it's been a really cool way to connect with fans and uh, give me something to do during the day as my kids have grown and moved on. I got divorced. So I'm kind of, it gives me something to do. And it's been fun to kind of design products and, 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 and stuff like that. So it's just been like another muscle to do. And it's really been a blessing. It's really to be able to write checks to charities and give away a quarter of a million dollars and, and also connect with people. And I got the size wrong. Oh, my bad. I'll send you another one. Keep it. And, you know, it's been really, a, really a blessing. Really, yeah. I've gotten more, so much out of it. You're breaking all these deals with these people. You'll, you'll get a deal. It's like, uh, I'll bet you Pavel Datsu gets three assists tonight. If not, I'll buy a shirt and shit that's like that. Fun. Yeah, that's yeah, fun. I love this. It's really cool. Yeah, that, that's really cool. And and uh, they'll make. And again, they want. It, it's just fun way for them. Even if they lose, they get something. If they win, they get something. And if they lose, it goes to a, some sort of charity. So yeah, it, it's been an amazing, awesome blessing. I think yeah. AB's got a bone to pick with you because yeah, he's the one guy I've seen win it like 30-plus times. How are you choosing these winners, man? I've, I've, well, all you have to do if Chicago is in the playoffs and they're going to overtime, just put Patty Kane. He's going to fucking score. So I've won <laughs> Patty Kane probably. Mr. Like, Clutch. But I tell people, if you're going to pick a person, pick a fourth liner or a defenseman right. because it's very random, first of all. Mario never got an overtime playoff goal. Messi never got an overtime playoff goal. Ovi. No, really? Obi's never scored a Obi's never scored an OT playoff goal. Good to know that. I, I got to add that to the list. But and the thing is, even if you take Obi and he does score, 
you're in a pool of hundreds of people. Yeah, right? exactly. You know, maybe even thousands. If you take, you know, just a, a random defenseman, there's going to be 40 people who have him. So if I'm picking 10 winners, you got a one in four chance of winning. So yeah. you're better off taking the third, fourth liner, or even a defense, maybe not so much a defense, they don't score quite as much. Uh, like Edmondson scored for St. Louis, I think, in the Stanley Cup this year. You know, but that, if you have him, there's a pretty good chance you're going to get swept. Yeah, the one, the one that I got, like, the first one I ever got right was the Joel Ward one, uh, 2012 against Boston. Yeah. And I ended up calling it, like, as a joke before the game. I, like, we had a, a Caps party or whatever. It was game seven. We're in my buddy's, we're in my buddy's basement. I'm just like, Joel Ward, game overtime, uh, overtime winner tonight, I'm calling it. Nice. And I was, like, just joking around, and then he ends up scoring the overtime winner. I was like, well, oh, DM, me your, DM me your information, T-shirt size. There yeah. <laughs> we go. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that was, the, that was probably the, the first one I think I ever got. But then, yeah, Patty Kane did it, like, four times. And I was that's cool. Like, like you said, that's 2012. So, like, if you're a 14-year-old kid in 2012 – you know, now you're graduating college, you go in the work, the workforce, and like you kind of grew up with the Bucci overtime chat. Like that blows right. my mind, yeah. stuff like that. You know what I mean? And I feel like I've been playing it for so long, and I've won like twice my whole life. Like I said, AB's <laughs> won it like a hundred times. I feel like I'm like, what the? Uh, yeah. The only reason why we got you on is so that I could get that free shirt. So thank it you. Worked. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. Uh, KP. So um, you do the play-by-play for college hockey championships. Would you say that is the the thing you enjoy most about your job, is that your favorite thing you get to do? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, it's the highlight of my year. Um, you know, the TV contract, this is the last year coming up. Um, next season, the last year for NBC. So negotiations will open up this fall. So all the networks can make their bids. And we'll probably find out January or February of uh, 2021 that, you know, that they usually announce it early because they got to give networks a chance to hire people. So, obviously, it would be awesome if ESPN got back into hockey and I got to do NHL play-by-play. I got to the World Cup in Toronto a few years ago and called that crazy Nathan McKinnon overtime goal. I see that. Oh, oh every yeah. Man. That's that really, that's like a, I'm like I'm five years old again. It's like I can't believe that's me calling this amazing goal. It's like that's, such, that's a cool thing. And, it's such a good uh, call, too. I, yeah, I got – Electric. Because not all my calls are great, but because, um, yeah, I don't do a lot of games. I'm trying to get better. But I really was happy how that turned out. I was with Darren Pang, which made me very comfortable. He's sitting next to me. Holy jumping. Yeah, holy jumping. And uh, Kevin Weeks in between the benches. I love Weeksy, so I was very loose and relaxed. So, yeah, so I would love for ESPN to get back in the hockey game after next year and to be able to do play-by-play. That would be like a great culmination of my career. I mean, if they still want me to do some sports centers, that would be cool. I love doing sports center. I love doing highlights. Like I said, I love every sport. So it's a good, it's a good venue for me. You know, ESPN came on the air when I was 13. I always wanted to be on ESPN. It's a, it's a place for grinders, for people who work hard, and uh, which kind of fits my – I grew up in western Pennsylvania in a, near a mining area. Then I moved to Ohio when I was 11 and grew up in a steel mill town. Both areas were kind of depressed. So I always grew up in really tough blue-collar areas. So that's kind of like my mentality. It's what I like being around. It's kind of people I like kind of environmental like and ESPN really is kind of like that blue collar grinding type of place so it fits me that's why I've been there 23 years that's why I never left because um I mean thankfully they keep asking me to stay but also I don't think I would have left even if somebody offered me twice as much money I just it just it just fits me well right is there like a play-by-play guy in the hockey industry that you kind of study and learn from or kind of follow I try not to do that I really want to be my own voice I natural want to be- I want to be different without being um, distracting 
Um, yeah, I think that's really important uh, is to try to be courageous and try to be a little different. Obviously, if like I said, I grew up on the radio, listening to these great play-by-play -play guys, and then I've been a big fan of Mike Hamrick. And, and um, there's a lot of guys, and so they're, they're going to seep into your brain anyway. Mm -hmm. And but for the most part, I really want to be a little bit different and try to approach it with even different vocabulary without it being forced. I don't want to force vocabulary. I just want to be myself, have fun, not try to be funny, but have fun. Always make the analysts shine. I want to set them up. I want them to be good. I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm better that way. They're the stars. And uh, so, yeah, I'm trying to create something different and try to be something different. Well, that's kind of the interesting about you when you call games because you'll mix in that lingo like, oh, saucy or slick mitt or like thin mint on it. And I enjoy that because it's like getting that lingo into the game, getting some, getting some fun shit going on. But a lot of people will come back at you and be like, oh, that's corny. Why is he saying this type of yeah. stuff? But I mean, mix the lingo in. Like, why, why the hell not? Like, look at the wheels on him. He's buzzing this, that, and the other. Buzzing so, around. Yeah, like I said, I'm just trying to have fun. And yeah. it's not forced. I don't. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to be cool. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be different. I don't want attention. I don't care about being famous or I don't care about awards. I really don't. Right. Um, I just, uh, I just want to have a good time. And, and unfortunately that's what, you know, my being at ESPN for 23 years, people, obviously not everyone's going to like you in, in any, you know, any part of life. No one, not everyone's always going to like you. And so what happens is you start to build up this immunity to, uh, to any feedback because you want to you need to protect yourself from people who criticize you especially when they're you know really rude or whatever and so but the problem when you when you build up that kind of defense where nothing can get to you like nothing right. there's nothing you can say that could offend me like <laughs> but the problem is when someone gives you a nice warm compliment that also doesn't always reach you which is kind of that's the bad part like someone really gives you the heartfelt compliment and uh, that really meant a lot to me. That column you wrote about your son's last hockey game, that meant a lot to me. I really enjoy watching you on SportsCenter and, or stuff like that. Sometimes that doesn't get to me as it should and make me feel better because that's, per that's, that's the person's intent. They want you to feel good. They, hey, you really did something. You know, I, I love watching you at night. It means a lot to me. And, but sometimes that also can't get you when you build up that immunity for all the criticism. Right. Yeah, I mean, like you just mentioned it, the bid to get NHL is going to be coming up shortly. Obviously, your dream would be to call games, uh, NHL games for ESPN. I mean, if that if you guys don't get that bid, say it stays with NBC or goes elsewhere, and you're still at ESPN, say an NHL team comes to you, you know, hypothetically with a, yeah. we have a play-by-play -play job, you know, full-time, you're the color guy, on, I mean, you're the play-by-play -play guy on TV. Was that something you consider? I mean, you put your time, you put your hard work in. Is that something you kind of like to pursue? I think I would. Yeah, I really would. Um, it probably depend where the, what the team is and where the team is. Um, I probably would have to have some of those. Um, Pittsburgh or yeah. Boston. <laughs> you know, or, or in Florida. So I, can oh. be there, I can be there in the winter. Get the golf, uh, great golf courses. Exactly. And uh, vitamin D. But yeah, I would consider any, and I have two and a half years left on my contract with ESPN. Um, that'll take me to 25, which is a cool number. Like I said, I'd prefer, and ESPN has been very flexible. You know, some people, like Dave Pash, he's a great play-by-play -play guy for us. We're college basketball, and he does Arizona Cardinals mm -hmm. uh, football on the radio. So I could see a thing where if a team came to me and said, hey, we want you to do games, I might be able to do that. And if ESPN get, gets games, I could maybe do also ESPN. Right. If I want to double up. Right. We had Joe. 
and still maybe do sports center in the summer. Right. Could, there you, you go. Know. There you go. So Mix it all in. Yeah. In the old days, they weren't as flexible with that kind of stuff, but now they are. And, um, but yeah, ultimately it'd be great if ESPN got hockey and I could do right. college game. I could do the, still do the frozen four, our few regular season games, some NHL games, maybe mix in some sports. And I do like to do a lot of things. I like, and I could even call college basketball or call a baseball game would be, that'd be like a dream come true. I love baseball. I grew up loving baseball, playing baseball. And if I could call a baseball game, I mean, that, like I said, I'd love to do a little bit of everything. I really do like all sports, still love all sports. And with ESPN Plus, we're kind of in a buying mode now, which is mm -hmm. cool with, you know, the Netflix for sports. And so there's a lot of opportunities there. I'd love to call golf or basketball or hockey. And so all kinds right. of stuff. So yeah, we'll we had Joe Beninati on uh, a couple of weeks ago. And we were kind of grilled, put him on the hot seat about if he'd take a national uh, calling play-by-play -play job. So we might have an opening here in D.C., so you never know. <laughs> but uh, we'll start to kind of wrap it up here with a couple more questions. So one of the coolest things that – I think you do is when you wear the ACHA jerseys on Sports Center. How how did that start? I mean, did somebody just send you a jersey like a team just send you a jersey one day and we're just like, hey, here you go, and you're like, you know what, I'm gonna toss this on, and so they see team see it, and then next thing you know, you probably got thousands of ACHA jerseys. Yeah, how big is that closet, man? It's got you gotta have <laughs> jerseys. It's huge. What happened was uh, for some reason Maryland sent me a jersey. A, uh, club hockey jersey. I don't know why they did. Right about that yeah. time, Scott Van Pelt just got his Sports Center on midnight. You know, they right. they, they want him off radio and give him his TV show at midnight. I've been actually talking about that for like 10, 15 years. I'm like saying, why don't we have like, like Fox has Hannity, Bill O'Reilly at the time. Like it's all the same content, but they still have a different anchor. Like why, don't, why wouldn't Sports Center do that? You know, and, and then they, you know, I always. And then they did it with Van Pelt at, you know, the midnight show and um, kind of like get up now with Greeny, probably about the same way. But so he got his sports center and he was very, you know, being Scott have always got along great. We, our sports centers back in the day were a lot of fun. People seemed to react to them on Twitter. They really enjoyed them. They thought this is like old school sport. This is fun. You know, same, same age, same sensibility, same sense of humor. And so I think, so he asked me, Hey, won't you come on my show and do, do the hockey highlights for me? Because you know hockey so well. I said, that sounds great. So I had this Maryland club hockey jersey. So I said, oh, I'll wear this because Scott went to yeah, Maryland. Yeah, I'll yeah. wear this club hockey jersey on there. So I do that. And you can imagine everyone starts to email me or DM me. Hey, if we sent you our jersey, will you wear it on SportsCenter? And uh, I said, yeah, sure. So I give my address. And I wear Seton Hall. Then I wear Alabama. And then, then I start doing In the Crease on ESPN Plus, the nightly highlight show on ESPN Plus. Yep. I figure, oh, when I do that show, I don't do it all the time. Linda Cohn's the main host. I'll wear a club, I'll wear, you know, club hockey jersey on there as well. And so between Scott and, this, and In the Crease on ESPN Plus, and I would, take a, you know, obviously I would take a picture of it and then tweet it out, I might have more followers on Twitter than viewers on, e, on In the Crease on ESPN Plus. <laughs> So, yeah, so, so, yeah, it's become exponentially grown. I have easy 100 sweaters in my closet of all kinds of cool schools, you know, Florida, Alabama, all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, it, it all started because wearing that Maryland jersey wow. because Scott went to Maryland. Now I'm doing this hockey segment. I'll throw this on. And, again, all, whether it's Pucci Overtime Challenge, college hockey, which was with just a silly – hashtag based on the miracle movie why do you play college hockey for the girls yeah 
just kind of threw it out there. Oh, now, now I've made hats and t-shirts. And like I said, I probably sold a million dollars worth of merchandise in the last 10 years. And, and after postage and buying it and packaging it up, give it, you know, give, give the money away. Um, things just kind of happen to me. I, I'm not smart enough to plan stuff, to yeah. brand stuff. I just, it's stuff. Just just with it. just the, cool, the cool thing about ACHA teams, they can make whatever the hell they want for jerseys. Yeah. So you, I like the Oregon Ducks one you wore the one time was That's pretty awesome. sick. Do you have like a favorite, do you have a favorite one? That's one of them for sure. Arizona State sent me one that I haven't been able to wear yet because I haven't had a hockey show since they sent it. Um, whether in the crease or on Scott show, it's, it's a beautiful sweater. I like, I like Alabama's. Like I, I like those schools that people don't realize they have any kind of hockey team, you know, and obviously the casual hockey fan thinks that they're like all division one. They, mm-hmm. they can't differentiate between division one and club hockey, right? They just see a uniform and, a, and stuff and think they're all the same, but uh, Oklahoma with the big, uh, you know, sooner schooners, an awesome one. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's one. the Oklahoma one stands out for sure. And then the Oregon duck, those are probably the top two ones that are really awesome. Um, another thing that you do in the wintertime that I always loved and tried to be a part of was uh, people would send you pictures of them playing on a pond, yeah. a boomerang, something in the backyard. You'd give them a retweet. Uh, they'd kind of say where they were. That, and that was all – that's cool. I mean, is, how, yeah. how did that start? Same thing. So, I, you know, I'm not sure. Probably started back when I was at my backyard rink um, across town here. And I would – you know, thing is, you know, hockey – outdoor hockey pictures are such great photography because the light is so good as anybody knows in photography or videography lighting is the most important thing and obviously with outside with the sun and the reflection off the ice it just creates amazing pictures so it just looks great so i probably you know i I wrote a column on my backyard rink um if you you know google butcher grass backyard rink you'll see my old backyard rink um and, and so those pictures probably where it started. And then I, I was in actually a documentary called Pond Hockey. They came to my house huh. and they filmed some stuff and they interviewed me and my, and uh, with me and my kids play in the back. And I was in that. That's kind of cool to be in that little, that, that little uh, documentary. I actually think I have that documentary. Is it yeah, that's, that's really cool. And I was in there for a quick second and it was really neat. And so it probably started there. And then once I got more on Twitter and people, send it out and yeah then just kind of go with it and uh, once they get people are smart they get the you know say where you're from and then i then like last year i created not this past winter two winters ago i created all the pictures i got i created these little videos i mean because your iphone you can create these awesome videos with music and dissolves and they do all kinds of different ways and 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 those are really cool so yeah so it's really you know i i did when I was a kid, my, my, my first goal in life was to have a wife and kids. That was like my biggest dream. Like that was even more than being a broadcaster. And I got married at 25, dad at 26. And so just having the whole, the whole point of family and sports team, to me, they're kind of inter, they're interwoven. Right. Teammates, having, you know, being a dad. And I just, I loved all of that. And so it kind of, that's why those pictures kind of remind me that of people coming together, you know, kind of, you know, just in those awesome times when you're just having fun. And that's what life's all about. And that's kind of, that kind of gets to me. Yeah. So with everything going on in the world right now uh, and ranks being shut down, I've really seen a wave of street hockey, kids getting outside, kind of finding the wheels, finding the rollerblades. I'm a big roller hockey guy with uh, ESPN 8, the Ocho coming back. Do you think we could ever see roller hockey or some kind of street <laughs> hockey out there? Maybe, maybe you could do the play-by-play. 
That, that's, that sounds good. I'm actually, I'll email that to some of our people saying we should look into that because that is a good one. And I'd love I mean, there's some There's some good tournaments out there. Yeah, I mean, me and Melrose go to one of places and, and, and call the play-by-play. That'd be, that'd be really cool. I, I will send an email tomorrow. And, 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 Check and, out like State Wars Hockey. They got some good players. You guys would love it. Are we just create some crazy, because it is ESPN 8, the Ocho, so it's got to be just fucking off the wall. So we just create <laughs> some crazy like street hockey type. Absolutely. Oh. Throwback to the Cali, uh, the Cali Pro Beach Street yeah. Hockey tournaments you know, with, the, with the NASCAR corners and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> that would be crazy. That'd so, be great right now. Right. So, last question we got for you, Bucci Man. We really appreciate you coming on. It's been awesome talking to you. And you, you may not want to answer this one. You may want to keep your secrets safe. But uh, what's the secret to making the best chicken parm possible? <laughs> well, it starts with a good piece of chicken. I like the thin slice, so I always go thinner slice. And um, obviously, get your mozzarella cheese at the deli, you know, okay. whenever you can, a little better cheese. I like the Paul Newman marinara. That's kind of like my go-to marinara. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that, that's right. That, those are the three key ingredients, a good piece of thin-sliced chicken. The Purdue thin-sliced Italian style is good. Crack an egg, put it in a bowl, get all the yolk around it, and then get your Italian seasoning breadcrumbs. Get it all <laughs> on there, and then put it in your little Pyrex pan. And then put in the oven for 10 minutes at 390, because when they're thin, usually it's 400, but I go, I go a little 390 for maybe eight or nine minutes. And then you put the sauce on, cheese over it, back in for, ten, or for I'm sorry, for 19 minutes. Take it out, put the sauce on it, cheese over it, back in for nine minutes, and you got your parm. Yeah, Are you giving fan. it a nice little, like, uh, in the cast iron, do you heat the oil up, maybe give it a nice little crisp on each side, and then put that cast iron in the oven? Yeah, I'm not that meticulous like i said I just use a clear pyrex pot for nine take it out sauce and cheese back or for 19 back in for nine that melts the cheese over and it's usually perfect bingo well there it is so, well John, let, you I got one last question bill go ahead so i see you tweet well i've seen you tweet multiple times i'm just a guy who puts on makeup in front of a tv in front of a recording screen over under on the pounds of makeup that you put on <laughs> no, we're men wearing makeup talking about sports. That's, yeah. <laughs> That's the line, yeah. Well, we have makeup artists at ESPN, and uh, not too much. They just kind of put a little spray, a little bit, a little dabble on that. But now with the pandemic, we're putting our own on. Ooh. So they give us Ooh. these little packets because they don't want us right in our face. So I just kind of, this little MAC powder, just throw it on. It takes me 12 seconds and I'm on. Mm. Nothing. That's it. Just a little. That's crazy. It's, it's not three hours like Game of Thrones style. Or no, just... it's like it literally right now. It's twenty seconds. It's there like you know, it's just this little stuff because the lights are bright and white. I don't put any anything else on. People, I've been I've been accused of having a hairpiece since I was thirty years old. <laughs> My job in Providence, people would call and say, "Why are you wearing a, it's not a hair? Do you think if I had a hairpiece, I'd want my hair to look like this?" You know. <laughs> So yeah, I've been accused. I've been accused of wearing eyeliner and makeup. You know, like I said, I'm half Italian. I got dark features. Don't kill me. Don't have <laughs> dark features. Bingo. Well, like I said, we really appreciate you. Appreciate you coming on. It's been great, kind of shooting the shit, talking hockey with you. We're big fans of everything you do over at ESPN, and hopefully, we get hockey back and have some Bucci OT challenge to get us through playoffs this year. I love the name. Uh, it's an awesome name you have there. And then three, you guys were four great, three great guys. I'm the fourth guy. Three great guys. I had an awesome time, and keep it up. Yeah. Bart. Down. Off the bar. 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 Down. Bar. Bar. And down. Off the bar and down. Off the bar and down.